so stupid he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Guaranteed to last longer than Sam Allardyce's England manager career, welcome to episode 59 of Motorsport 101. <laughs> Yeah, hello and welcome once again, one and all, to Motorsport 101. And uh, just as we started recording this, Big Sam's long and illustrious England managerial career is over almost as soon as it started. Hey, he's our most successful manager ever. 100% win ratio, bro. But um, it's, uh, it's a strange night because you may recognise that this is, of course, AJ and not Dre talking at you, which should probably have tipped you off that Dre is not here once again. He is in absentia. It's a little bit strange. We were going to record on the Monday, which is when he was at work. We're now recording this on Tuesday, uh, 27th of September, when he initially said he would be available, but now he's not again. He made some sort of excuse. I just think he's playing Forza Horizon 3. I mean, he pre-ordered it. He got it today. That's got to be it, right, King? Yeah, it's got to be it. It's got to be it. Like, this this recording is like the only reason why I don't have a copy of that game right now. (laughs) This, this it's is like, what, oh, oh, I got I to gotta come home straight from class. I can't stop anywhere. I got to go straight home. <laughs> so you're just sitting there bubbling with resentment, and I'm like, I've already got NASCAR Heat Evolution. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, tonight is, of course, myself, Adam Johnson, in the chair for tonight. He's very kindly giving me the keys again. Unbelievably, he's trusted me to do this again. We must have impressed him significantly after the first time I did this. And, of course, joining me, as ever, is the Ed Byrne to my Dar O'Brien, or perhaps Frankie Boyle. It's Ryan King. Yes, yes. I'm so happy to be here on the show, as always. You really are. Always happy to, always happy to be sidekick to whoever's in charge. <laughs> that, that's my role. I know my role. Yeah, you literally posted earlier when I, <laughs> I sent the tweet out on the Motorsport 101 Twitter account, which you should totally follow, by the way. I'll give you more details on that in a minute. Uh, I tweeted out earlier, I was like, live reactions of me being handed the keys, and it was a gif. And then I just posted one for King, and it was just like... I don't even know. You were just like, I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, that was, that was like, that was my response. I'm just happy to be along for the ride. <laughs> You're almost like that guy in the guitarist guy in Queens of the Stone Age, who isn't Josh Homme, who's like, he's always there, even when the entire rest of the lineup changes. Mm. Like in recent <laughs> albums, it's like, oh, we've got an entirely new drummer, bassist, keyboard player, another guitarist. And it's just like, oh, but who's that guy? He's been here for like five albums now. Really? <laughs> really? I, I, I thought the gimmick of this band was like, we had new people all the time. No, no, this is the only reason why we're the same band. Yeah, it's literally Josh Holm just in a bar, just like, oh, who's going to record the next Queens of the Stone Age album with me? You, you, and you. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's let's kick it off straight away, shall we? Speaking of Twitter, you can, of course, join us on the internet, which is where we exist. Uh, the main places to lock in to the show are on iTunes and on SoundCloud. If you just search Motorsport 101 on both of them, it shouldn't be too hard to find. Subscribe to us and follow us on those platforms as well. We are also available on Stitcher and TuneIn, which I believe is available on uh, Xbox One. Am I right? That's available yes, on consoles. It is, it is available on Xbox One. We, we have hit the big time. We are on gaming consoles. Oh, yeah. I mean, like literally, if you are playing Forza Horizon 3, stick us on in the background. It will be perfect for you to rally across Australia in a hold of Malou, uh, which totally doesn't sound like a brilliant <laughs> thing to do. But um, as, as for the social media, we're all over Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Unsurprisingly, we're on Twitter as well. Slightly different, though. It's uh, twitter.com forward slash Motorsport underscore 101 or at Motorsport underscore 101 because someone, an um, annoying person, has stolen just Motorsport 101. So we had to add the underscore in, just be properly hipster. Um, 
you can also find our individual accounts uh, at AJ underscore Bombersports. That's me. At Ryan Eric King. That's with a K in the Eric uh, for Ryan over there. And at Harrison101HD for Dre. For, so um, if you want to go tell him that Sebastian Vettel's championships only became only became a thing because Red Bull dominance, go, go tweet him that and see how far you get. <laughs> Not very far, I'm telling you. Also, another thing, it's just because we've had this a few times now, when you tweet the Motorsport 101 Twitter account itself, you don't have to tag our individual accounts as well. We all get notified. We all have access to the Twitter, the Motorsport 101 Twitter account. So if you tweet that, we all get notified. So you don't have to spend more tweet space adding all our accounts to it as well. Just so you know, I've had that happen a few times. If you're a particularly big fan of the show, I know some of you are, I can't quite believe it myself, but if you are a particularly big fan... You can support us directly. You can help this thing become grow even more than what it already has by supporting us on Patreon. A Patreon link is fairly self-explanatory. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We have plenty of perks. We have some very cheap kind of perk bands, if you will. Some very uh, low-level ones like that. And we also have some, raising up some higher-level ones. We have new merch on the way as well, which will be revealed in due course as well. So there has never been a better time to support this show. Obviously... If you can't financially, if you don't want to, that's absolutely fine. Trust me, if anyone knows about being a bit tight at the moment and not being able to support podcasts, not because they don't want to, it's me. So realize that every time you share this out, tweet it out, pass it on word of mouth, whatever, share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter, links to the podcast, and you bring people to our show, that's also a great way of supporting the show as well. So do not think we are like, give us money now. We're not going to broadcast. We're going to have like a sit-in protest. No way. We're here for the love of it and we're happy. We're stoked that you guys love it as well. If you want to share the love with other people, fantastic. You are just as helpful to the show as people who pledge us money as well. So we've got the hard, we've got the nitty gritty out of the way. Let's drop straight into Keeping It 101. Keeping it 101. Usually Dre opens this, but which which one of us is going to go first? Well, I I mean, I think you should go first because I think yours is slightly more bittersweet. And then I think yeah. my ones are just kind of funny. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to have to open first about, well, it, it's, I would say it's about the game I grew up with. Like I, I, I was a motorsports fan since I was a kid, but I, you know, haven't been to any races the game that i grew up you know going to all the time was baseball and i'm, I'm still a big baseball fan and this weekend uh baseball lost one of its bright young stars pitcher jose fernandez of the miami marlins he, he tragically lost his life in a boat accident and uh it, just to say it was out of nowhere is to probably just you understatement know, of the century yeah un understatement like for like in, in motorsport you know you expect it to be dangerous you you know there, there is some sort of preparedness you need to have but you know when someone in you know one of the more traditional sports loses their life at a young age it's it's just straight shocking and especially someone, the ability of Jose Fernandez, where he was he was only 24 years old. And I think it was his his rookie season was 2013. And 
he immediately made an impact on the league even before taking the field because uh he actually grew up in Cuba and and fled Cuba and you know fled Cuba on a raft it took him four times to get here i think one i think his third time he actually got arrested and put in prison for a month in Cuba for trying to you know defect wow and on the fourth attempt where he made it to Florida, he, uh, you know, someone fell off the raft and he dove in and saved that person's life. And when he got the person back up from the raft, he realized it was his own mother. Oh, my God. Yeah. And and like besides that, just the effort that he took to come here and play in the majors was evidently clear he even became i think he became a u.s citizen in 2015 when he finally became a citizen and his debut season in major league baseball 2013 was spectacular to say the least rookie of the year yeah he was rookie of the year he made the all-star team i think he finished third in voting for pitcher of the year in his league and oh just i think in terms of seasons, like the statistics they use in baseball, it was uh, a top 10 season for a player under the age of 21 since like 19, 1900. So it was one of the 10 best seasons since 1900. That is remarkable. I mean, before the show, you were talking to me about this and because I literally have no real kind of knowledge of the game of baseball at all. You kind of equated it and his passing to the same sort of tragedy and potential of Joel Bianchi. Yeah. Where it's like, I would say it's very similar to Joel Bianchi because it, it, it's baseball's going through this sort of, I would say player renaissance for all these new young guys are coming up and they're probably going to be around for the next 15 or so years because baseball careers are extremely long like that so you could play up up until like you're 40 or so like i would say it's similar to indycar and it was i think it was it was jose it was bryce harper in washington dc it was mike trout in la and they were kind of like the core three players that were going to you know be the people to watch in baseball for the next 15 years and now that's gone we we're not gonna have jose for that and it's just it's devastating yeah that is a really sad story i heard about it mostly from um our little slack chat that we have going uh there's a group of us it's basically called racing podcasters brackets sorry rj because we have rj o'connell on there who you've heard on this show before he's obviously not a podcaster on his own but he does great work with the super gt world website if you've read any of that work over there that's him and most of my knowledge on this story came from that chat and there was a lot of huge amount of sadness. I mean, like, as we said before, you know, in motorsport, there is always the kind of sword of Damocles hanging over it to such an extent because, hey, it's motor racing. There's an inherent risk there. But in terms of, you know, stick and ball sports, you know, it's it's, it's much like how the, you know, the tragedy of some players in the past in soccer over here and football over here, like passing away on the pitch due to a heart attack. I remember watching the game live where Fabrice Mwamba, who was playing for yeah. Bolton, if I remember rightly, uh, had a, uh, a cardiac arrest on the pitch and was being treated. And, you know, it was not looking good for him at the time. Luckily, he he survived. But it was you, you just these tragedies hit harder when they're younger and show so much potential. And in these kind of sports, because you don't expect it. It is so, so much you of a surprise. Because, you know, you go play, you know, thousands of games of baseball because it's 
163 game season and you you're you basically it's it's almost like you know these guys because you see them almost every day on tv and you get to see them basically live their lives because these games are like three hours long at a time and Mm. like jose friggin loved baseball he you he always played with a smile on his face win or lose he was happy to be there yeah and just it's it's hard really it's it's not great i mean your other story is slightly less sad than that i mean best wishes going out to the family of Fernandez yeah, and the entire baseball community really. Oh god, his oh god, his family. God, he had a girlfriend I think 2 weeks ago like Jose was so happy cuz she she announced that she was pregnant. So Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> Oh, it's not. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Best just the best wishes in the you know condolences going yeah. out to the family over there. This is it's Horrible, but I, I from the rest of the sporting world, particularly from the motorsport world to the baseball community, our thoughts are with you guys. Yeah, we 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 know how you guys feel. Oh yeah, we, all we, too we, well, all too well. Uh, your other story from from baseball is not quite as sad. It's still. Yep. Uh, uh, I would say I would say it's it's a happy end to a long career. Yeah, like, yeah. It, the the legendary announcer Vin Scully of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, basically had his he had his last regular season announcing job last weekend and it was the game well let me start it off it's going to be the last time that Dodgers fans are going to hear that famous intro oh god I I I really can't do it justice to the way he (laughs) says it where he says it's time for Dodger baseball hi everybody and a pleasant good afternoon to you wherever you may be and it just it's weird because not being a Dodgers fan, like you still hear Vince Scully because like sometimes uh, the regional broadcasters do national games and Vince Scully is usually the first one to get called up because he's yeah, been yeah. around the sport for so long since 1950. Yeah. And he he actually went to school. He went to Fordham University, which is about like 15 minutes from my house, because when he started working with the Dodgers, it was still the Brooklyn Dodgers. Wow, that that is a long and illustrious <laughs> career. And the way you kind of described him to me uh, and described his intro there kind of reminds me of Ken Squire's style of announcing for NASCAR yeah. and for motorsport, that real sort of atmospheric voice of the, not voice of the gods, but do you know what I mean? Like a sort of, he's in the, he, he brings you straight into the room you know what I mean? You're right there in the yeah. scene. It doesn't matter yeah. where you're watching or how you're watching the the event. You're right there. Yeah, it makes it feel like you're at the ballpark. And that's one of the things that he always said about announcing, that it's about providing the experience of the ballpark to people who can't make it there. Like, because the old Ebbets Field out in Brooklyn was very small, like, I think 25,000 seater, which is like, small in terms of baseball and it was very intimate setting like he said he he knew the the fans who were constantly at the games and they called out to him in the press box and he waved back and he he wanted to give that intimate experience to the to the fans who couldn't be at the game themselves Mm. and that's that should be the whole point of a commentator you know that's that's what i've always learned before like radio is is particularly magical that like that and i remember you know John Hindhoff, I've had a conversation with John Hindhoff of Radio Le Mans about this before, how you kind of paint the scene and how 
it, it's up to you to bring people into the occasion who can't be where you are. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. a, a pet peeve of, of John's, and, and I totally agree with him, is when radio commentators use the phrase, look at this. And sometimes <laughs> sometimes you can't help it. It's spur of the moment. But yeah, yeah like if I could look at it, I wouldn't be listening to you guys right now. Do you know what I mean? But I actually compared yeah. Heinhoff to Ken Squire in that sort of respect. He took it as a huge compliment, rightly so. But like that sort of ability to bring people in with that sort of warmth. And it, it kind of reminds me a lot of some rugby commentators. There's there's Eddie Butler um, for BBC Sport, who does a lot of the rugby commentary as well. It's, you know, just that phenomenal ability to captivate an audience and make them feel like they are right there and living out the moments. And and it's yes. that sort of stuff that's not reacting to the action on the field that's the hardest bit. Like people yeah, it, are, it's it's I would say like the hardest bit is not, you know, describing the game at hand, but kind of coloring the picture, giving telling them what the environment's like. Because that's one of the things that Vin kind of said that he learned from his predecessor, Red Barber, who is also like the iconic Brooklyn Dodgers announcer, because uh, Red Barber was Southern, which is like weird for so like for the Dodgers to have a Southern commentator. And it was it was kind of like the way he described Ebbets Field on certain game days was through metaphor. And it it's yeah. like, like heavily using metaphor to, to like how the ballparks reacting to certain players and how the players are you know reacting to plays on the field like ex- not reacting physically but emotionally yeah and I, I i tell you what another guy who's who's great at it has a similar sort of ability is the late bill mclaren another rugby commentator yeah. very similar ability to do that so <clears throat> you know congrats on on a real storied career i mean what a way to yeah to live he, it out. he has two records that still stand today he's the longest serving broadcaster for a single team and he's also still the youngest person to ever broadcast the world series at 25 years old wow that's sensational <laughs> yeah that's that's a record that's probably going to stay for quite a while. Yeah, like he filled in for Red Barber during the the 1953 World Series. <sighs> that, is, that is some career, you've got to say. <laughs> yes, that's unbelievable. So yes. I mean, that is that'll be that'll be Kings keeping it 101, very baseball themed for very understandable reasons. Let's. Um, I'm gonna. <laughs> I say lighten the tone. It's going from, you know, sad to bittersweet, you know, celebrating a great career to kind of farce, really. And it's no surprise because we're talking about English football. <laughs> kind, kind of par for the course, really. I mean, this is, a, this is a football team that is a product of the richest football league in the world, uh, the Premier League. And yet uh, the last international tournament was in Euro 2016, knocked out in the last 16 stage by Iceland. Yeah. That that, mm. that team, you know, the one that you didn't know about until that match, the one with like <laughs> one professional player. <laughs> and so the manager at the time was Roy Hodgson. He was, well, he left basically the same night because how could he continue after that? It's a bit like, it's like, oh, go on, give him another chance. Yeah, no, there, there's certain things where it's like, no, he, he, yeah, it's kind of. You, you can't come back from losing to Iceland. <laughs> yeah, like for context, I, I mean, it's hard to relate to like a how that could even be like an F1 comparison or a motorsport comparison. But like if, if somehow on a clear, perfect, perfect open sky day, Manor got a race win off a pure pace over Mercedes. Yeah. There'd be people at Mercedes where you're like, um, excuse me, what the hell? Like it's, it's very, 
Yeah, it's now, it, Dr. Z kicks on the door. Wolf, you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Just like, do you remember the do you remember the fist pounding on the desk at the end of the Austrian Grand Prix this year? Yes. It should be more it should be like head in his hands, like, no, Vice is happening. Toto is a robot. It's still confirmed. But yeah, Hodgson left after the Euros as, you know as you kind of expect. And then he was replaced by Sam Allardyce, who's had a kind of popular reputation in the local, in the kind of domestic leagues here in the UK. He's never managed a particularly huge team, but he's always been floating around those sort of clubs where, you know, the kind of lower end of the Premier League, you know, if you're a club in trouble and you're like, oh, we need to survive relegation, who do you call? Big Sam and his massive jaw. That guy has one of the (laughs) hugest jaws in all of sport. And uh, he came in to manage England after the Euros. um, And basically... What has ended up happening is he managed the first of their World Cup 2018 uh, qualifiers against Slovakia, I want to say, uh, and got a 1-0 win. Uh, And that will be his only game in charge of England because what then happened was footage was leaked by the Daily Telegraph of him in a meeting with uh, people claiming to be Far Eastern businessmen. They were at least some of them were a plant by the Telegraph, uh, which is, and this is pretty, the, the kind of, pretty slimy end of journalism right here but unlike the case with John Higgins a few years ago where he appeared to be framed pun intended um, he appeared to be set up to look like he was agreeing to throw frames and be bribed uh, that really kind of ended up not having any sort of substantial merit what we saw in this footage here with Allardyce slightly more sinister in a way in that he was openly telling these people how to flout, to flaunt FA rules on foreign player third-party ownership, which has been a big deal. It's basically been outlawed in the UK since around 2008 and the Carlos Tevez saga with West Ham. So yeah. uh, ironically, the club that Allardyce left to, um, to, well, one of the clubs he previously managed in the last few years. Um, and he was also agreeing a £400,000 pay deal to work with these people um just not great not it doesn't look good on anyone in the fa i guess i've had to react swiftly some people are saying you know maybe sam deserved a chance to get out of it but it appears that allardyce is kind of left off his own back so king pride you know did he t- did he take the sword here did he have to or like this is t- uh, it's just uh, <laughs> at this point the english football team is kind of like a, a bad sitcom at this point in time so it's almost like no one's kind of surprised yeah, no one's kind of surprised. Like, I, I don't want to get into, like, how the, the England team is run, because I think it's run poorly, but... <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> like, you know like, the news? I, I, day follows night. Like, like, I openly have, like, five things I would make the England team, like, better tomorrow, but I'm going like, to, like, save that to, like... Maybe, maybe. Or, oh God, what's his name? Thompson from the from the women's national team. He would probably be a much needed oh, improvement. Greg Sampson. Oh yeah, Sampson. Yeah, Greg yeah, yeah, Sampson. Yeah. But yeah, like the whole Aldice saga. Like it's hard to even call it a saga because you're like, I'm pretty sure he's leaving before things get out. Yeah, he's like, jumping before he's being pushed. I think it's quite clear. Yeah. Like before, like if, if the tele- if the telegram have that. It, what, what's to say that there's not more stuff out there? Yeah, and that kind of gives me the impression, at least with John Higgins, you know, it was the then news of the world, which thankfully for everyone involved, um, well, thankfully for people with eyes in the UK, crashed and burned yes. a few years later because it was just a despicable kind of craptastic pile of donkey droppings of a newspaper. Now, I mean, we're still left with the Daily Mail, which is, if anything, worse, but hey, you know, one down. But... um yeah, they had that investigation into John Higgins, who was a snooker player, and that really was a sort of, 
that was a real setup and Higgins was really kind of set up there and and in the end you know it, it kind of screwed his career over but mostly people were were che- were cheering him when he came back and started winning tournaments again because you know they could kind of see well yeah it doesn't look great on him but he was set up but in this case uh, uh, yeah you could say he was caught out and he was in kind of entrapped but still what he actually said it's still not great it's a little bit like the Hulk Hogan Gorka trial thing a little bit like yeah. you know yeah Hogan was caught out by the tapes being released to the public but he still said some pretty stupid shit some pretty <laughs> yes. horrible stuff on them tapes and it's like yeah Hogan we can't get around that you still said that stuff you know own it <laughs> so as you say I wonder if there's worse to come after that <clears throat> but um, yeah English football staggers from another catastrophe but most people won't be paying attention because hey Premier League soon that'll be fine uh, or in my case, AFC Wimbledon, who may finally be getting our stadium at Plough Lane. Yeah, I saw that. I saw yes. that the plans were approved. Yes. yes. I can't tell you. Like, Wimbledon the whole, moving back to Wimbledon. At last. Like, I can't tell you. This is like the latest hurt. It's like, this is a classic case of trying to do something in the UK and then like other interests and other people being like, nah, we're going to make this as difficult as possible for you. So do, do I, do I even have to refer you to the previous episodes where we talked about the Boston GP? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect example. But in this case, it's been like, it went through every single planning thing possible, you know, bids were tendered, you know, like, cause the, the, the point is, if you don't know, AFC Wimbledon used to play their games at Plough Lane in the, the part of London, which is Wimbledon itself or in Merton. Um, and then left in 1993, I believe, because of the report post-Hillsborough, which demanded all Premier League grounds needed all seating. And of course, it started terracing, so it was out the window. Yeah. The original Plough Lane fell into disrepair. Uh, Wimbledon ground shared with Crystal Palace. And then the infamous uh, move, which has facilitated the formation of the brand new AFC Wimbledon, where they were like, I know what will solve our problems. We should move. What, you mean back to Wimbledon? No, Wilton Keynes. What, you mean yeah, that town that's 60 miles that way? Club. Let's go there. Yeah. <laughs> what you mean that club well they do have a football club it's Milton Keynes shh, City they're in the seventh shh, tier of the- shh, shh. <laughs> they don't exist <laughs> I just find it ironic that like they were like oh it will take too long to get Milton Keynes City into the football league Wimbledon took like a season shorter than they were predicting for Milton Keynes City but um, yeah yeah like the whole point of the new AFC Wimbledon was to eventually try and get back to the, the full home and then like there's been like loads of rounds of planning and the whole thing, you know, because it's not just a stadium. It's a, you know, residential areas. It's new housing. It's new projects and that. And it's rejuvenating the the Wimbledon Greyhound yeah. Stadium that's up there, which, of course, it's it's annoyed all the Greyhound purists. And there is a, a banger racing stock car racing community up there. Of course, they use it for racing up there. So it's a shame in that respect. But, you know, hey, if, the, if no one else is going to do anything and really invest in the stadium, then this you know would have looked the best on paper i suppose and but there's been like little nagging things like for example previous london mayor boris johnson called in the plans after they were already passed unanimously by merton council and everyone was like oh, what's he doing and then he left office new mayor sadiq khan comes in and literally goes well i got no problem with them i have no idea why boris called them in you can have them back <laughs> and then i think it was wandsworth council put in a thing they were like no we're gonna get the secretary of state to call them in and today the secretary of state was like no, I'm not interested. Merton, it's all yours. So it's, it's literally just yeah. people trying to be like, no, stop it. And then it's like, no, when when you get it straight, this is like unanimous. This whole thing's watertight. Stop it. Let them just build the thing. So hopefully this is the last thing. And in a couple of seasons time, when we'll be playing there, whether they'll be in League One or Two, 
remains to be seen, or maybe the championship. Who knows? I can yeah, dream. Like, hopefully, hopefully they'll be in the league. They'll just be in the league. Yeah, I mean that's the goal at this point in time. Like I think people at Wimbledon are still stoked that we're even in the football league at this point. So like <laughs> my attitude going into League One this year, it was like, well, even if we go straight back down, we'll still be in the football league. That's fine. Like no one expects yeah. us to get promoted last year, and like the playoff final at Wembley this year was one of the greatest sports days of my life. So. We'll see what the, the next adventure is, but <clears throat> just to close off. Yeah, actually, um, yeah, actually circle back around to the beginning. Actually, I think earlier this summer, Sadiq Khan was in New York and he threw the first pitch at a Mets game. And there, he was in talks with the, the owner of the New York Mets about actually playing a game at the Olympic Stadium. <laughs> Correct. Yes, I, I saw that, actually. I, I'm a big fan of Sadiq Khan straight away, and not just because he's helped the Wimbledon Stadium plans. He's he's really been a good mayor so far for London, I've got to say. It's it's nice to talk positively about politics, especially for yeah. you, King. I'm assuming at this <laughs> yes. point you're just like, let's let's just not mention what happened last oh, night, which yes. was basically, like, basically there were two shows uh, the night before our recording. One was full of people trashing each other on the microphone and generally being stupid. The other was WWE Raw. Um, <laughs> basically, but yeah, I think that'll basically close keeping it 101 for now. I did have another story about how the Grand Tour, there was an article on Jalopnik about the Grand Tour's launch. Um, and it literally looks like it's basically if, uh, Forza Horizon was made into a TV show, this is basically what it's going to be. It looks about as awesome as we were hoping for. And you know, get excited. This really does look like it's going to be as good as we thought it would be, uh, to counter that. The Top uh, Top Gear, their old home, have officially announced that the hosting lineup for the next series, there will be another one. And it will be headed up by LeBlanc, Roy Reed, and Chris Harris. I fucking called it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. I'm pretty sure you can go back and check an early episode of the podcast. I don't remember which one, but I know you suggested that that should be the lineup going forward without Chris Evans. Yep, that's basically. I, I said all along, like if they want any chance of the new Top Gear succeeding, that's the that's the trio they got to go with. No more like having seven or eight or twelve presenters at any given time. Definitely no more Chris Evans. I mean, seriously, I would rather just <laughs> walk up to the studio and suplex him through the roof of one of the cars than have to suffer him being <laughs> oh, like, "Come on, tonight, I'm going to shout in your face." It's just like, oh dear, I'm going to rather... be Clarkson late. I'm not going to try and be Jeremy Clarkson, except I am. <laughs> And then just at home, Jeremy Clarkson's just like, this man is the worst presenter in the world. <laughs> Sorry, I had to, that's the most predictable joke ever, but I had to make it. But hopefully the new series of Top Gear will be okay, but it just kind of goes with what I've said all along. Like, literally, like, at this point, Top Gear is like the guys are in the corner of the bar, sort of sitting around the table like, okay, lads, we've, we've got to try and make this good. And then just in the corner, the Grand Tour guys, the former Top Gear presenters are just being, like, bankrolled with infinite amounts of, like, cocktails and blue lagoons <laughs> and sex on the beach and godfathers. And the, the CEO of Amazon's over there is like, go on, lads, treat yourself some more drinks. On me, on me, yeah? Just, like, waving waving wads of cash around. And they're just there in, like, sharp suits, and they're like, yeah, we're basically allowed to do whatever the fuck we want because we're online now. Like, in this article, Hammond basically said that on the set. He said something like, a bit controversial and someone was like don't get fired again and Hammond was like Hammond was like we're on the internet now we can do whatever the fuck we want <laughs> that's that's the one thing i love about digital media like when 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 you reach the point where you're fully independent kind of like we are you could basically say whatever you want 
Yep, pretty much. And that's why well, that's why I was kind of excited about this going to Amazon kind of deal, because I was like, you know, if you think about it, at the BBC, they kept getting more and more restricted in, in what they could say and what they could do. Now it's like the shackles are off. And for better or worse, Top Gear was at its best when those guys were basically doing whatever they wanted, when they were being a bit controversial, a bit near the knuckle, but going out there, having these crazy adventures, doing all these stupid stunts, driving these cool cars and sometimes crap cars, which were funny as well. Like, that was what made the show what it is. So all preliminary signs are that the Grand Tour will look absolutely amazing and will flip biscuits as soon as it drops, which is, I think, November? Yeah, it's... Oh, God, I forgot which week in November, but it's going to be in November. It's not going to be like other shows where other online shows where they release all their episodes at once. They're still doing the traditional one-a-week model. Yeah, I, I believe it's November 18th they're dropping the yeah, first November episode. 18th. Like, the only thing I'm slightly worried about is, like, how many people are actually going to get Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting. I mean, I'm going to, like, literally, someone else in my family has an account, so I'm going to be, like, using that for the first few episodes. <laughs> yeah. But we'll see. It's a lot to sink in there. But, hey, that'll, that'll bring to a close a pretty interesting Keeping It 101. Let's get into some actual racing now, shall we? With MotoGP. Yeah. interesting segment because you know i said dre's not here for the evening actually he kind of is but not in the way you'd expect you see let me take you back a few days we're recording this tuesday night right over the weekend i hung out with some people over the weekend on saturday had a great time i was actually working up on the south bank doing some filming for um a new social media app that's launching which was really cool and then dre came over to hang out that night crashed over and then the next morning got up and we sat down crashed around my house had a free yard and we watched all the MotoGP. In fact, I cooked a full English breakfast for us as well, which was rather nice. <laughs> I actually got to get my chef on. And then what ended up happening was we watched all the races, complete with Keith Hewan commentary, which we know Dre loves so much. Um, and it was rather <laughs> hilarious seeing those live reactions. It was absolutely amazing for that. And then immediately after the race is finished, we sat down and recorded a segment right now. Uh, or, you know, immediately after the race is ended. So... Yeah, if you were thinking that you weren't going to hear Dre's thoughts on the MotoGP this weekend, fear not, because here they are. I mean, let's let's talk about MotoGP real quick. And it was actually a fairly comfortable win for Mark Marquez in the end, um, when it was all said and done. Um, it wasn't the most captivating race in the world, but I mean, there was always like a little bit of action going yeah, on throughout I enjoyed the it. race. And like that, like the, it was like almost like a tale of two races because. We saw the start, like, Vinales went off like a rocket. Yeah. Like, Maverick went off like a shot. And, um... Pulled a fantastic move on Marquez and Lorenzo oh, to take the lead. Turn three, right? Like, right around turn three, like, he, he'd gone way underneath. He forced Marquez to stand the bike up. And, like, Marquez was playing second fiddle, but he he had this move, like, at turn 15, the bottom of the corkscrew. He was just passing everybody left and right through there. All Marquez the nailed it every single time. Every time. It was, like, four for four. It was perfect every single time. And despite the bike having an issue where... It's acceleration out of slower corners is ultimately probably its biggest weakness. He was mm. still able to make it stick coming down the main straight, and that's impressive going forward. But it, it was it was it was a it was an interesting race because the Yamahas are on different tires to what the Hondas are doing. The Hondas were very conservative; they're on the full hard setup, while the Yamahas had the softer front ends. Um, so clearly, they were going to try and go out hard, and like it was obvious. It was, it was weird because Valentino Rossi after the race said that. 
Um, they were focusing on trying to be stronger towards the end when that clearly wasn't the case. He was much weaker in the second half of the exactly, race. Exactly. Like his, front, his front tire had clearly been worn out. I mean, it looked like the strategy might work where after about three laps, Marquez had taken a lead and then he nearly... Yeah. Falls completely off the bike at turn three. Very, very wide moment. Yeah. He falls down to fifth. He's behind Davizioso, both the Yamahas and Vinales at that point. Vinales holds up Rossi for quite a while. He's battling hard with them. Yes. But then Rossi takes the lead and you think this is actually playing into their hands. But the problem Perfectly. was for them, Marquez had superior pace to all of the top five on an all-hard tyre setup. Yeah. Like- so to me, that was kind of the giveaway that the Yamahas would have to try something special. Yeah, he had to, he could push harder later on in the race, and as Yamaha's front-end grip was fading throughout, Marcus just got stronger and stronger. I mean, the key move was of about eight laps to go, where he's, he's past Valentino um, at turn 15, and then two laps later, he puts in the fastest lap of the race, um, which was a second faster than Valentino, and that was over. The race was over that at was that That was the go-home lap right that, there. That was, the, that was the it's time to go home lap from Mar- Marquez right there. And it, what, what was interesting towards the end was that Jorge Lorenzo and had actually caught back up again to the back of Valentino Rossi's bike because Rossi, like Rossi, claimed after the race's front was still fine, but I don't believe him in the slightest. Because no. how else could he lose all that time to Lorenzo? I think Lorenzo had clearly done a better job managing his tires. Even after Marquez passed him, there was a few laps where Rossi was still trying to hang in there, but then that lap from Marquez kind of broke right, and then it was just reverse gear from there. Yeah, pretty much. And he fell into the clutches of Lorenzo with the shark helmet, ironically speaking. <laughs> and um, Lorenzo passes him at turn five. It was, a, it was a very firm, but very fair move. Rossi was refusing to give it up. He was looking for a way around. He's trying to move at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the hill at turn 12. Um, and he's almost lost the front completely. He's gone very, very wide. He's gone off the track. He had to stand the bike up. He was way offline. And that ultimately was what cost him a shot at second. He finished that was his very- big Hail Mary with two laps to go. Yeah, and he, he eventually just finished down in third as, as a result instead. Um, and it's a, it's a, it was a key moment for the championship because now Marquez has got a 52-point lead with only four rounds to go. And with four rounds left, it's going to be something probably barring a miracle for Rossi to win this championship now because, I mean, you're looking at Marquez probably needing at least one, maybe two DNFs really to have any chance. And it's not like Rossi's going to get help either because Lorenzo... With a 52-point gap, four rounds to go, 100 on the table. Mm. That's tricky, surely. It's very tricky. And like I said, Marquez is the only man in the field to have finished every single Grand Prix this year. He's not making the mistakes he made last year. He's learned his lesson from last year that sometimes it's better to play conservative and now he can really afford to do that now he can he can lose 10-12 points around between now and the end of the year he may not even need to finish on the podium again this season and that would probably still be enough to win the championship but he knows he's strong at Philip Island he knows he's strong at Valencia he'll be running contention in those two races all he's got to do is probably finish on the podium in both and that might just be enough for him to, 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 to win his third MotoGP world title and his fifth world title overall um it's again, like again, we were running down the field real quick as well. Shout out to Maverick. It's a shame his bike faded towards the end, and it says a lot about the state of the Suzuki team going forward that the team looked genuinely gutted with fourth place. They, they, if he offered them that at the start of the year, they'd have bitten your arm off. And I now, claimed immediately after the race, it's like Vinales has become MotoGP's Joseph Newgarden. This is a very fair the point. The best of the rest outside of the big two. Yeah, outside of the big two, Honda and Yamaha teams now, Maverick. I mean, Maverick is fifth in the championship now, just behind Pedrosa. Um, Pedrosa's win seemed to have given him a bit more credit than he probably deserved this year. But the best of the rest is Maverick right now. And I think Suzuki have now got a better package than Ducati do going forward. And yeah. 
I mean, Dovi was on a medium, medium strategy and he fell to 11th in the end behind the two Aprilias, which was a real surprise. Um, but Dovi fell down the order. Maverick, I mean, you, could, you could see his, he looked gutted about get, finishing in fourth. He, he felt like, oh, this, this is a bike that could really have upset the apple cart if the, maybe if the track was a little bit colder, like, he, like it was at Silverstone then maybe he could have featured a little bit more strongly in that. But um, it says a lot about half how far Suzuki has come as a team, if they're, if they're genuinely gutted about just missing out on the podium now, as opposed to at the start of the year where any top five at all or any podium finish was, was, was you know, ecstatic for the team. Yeah. They, 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 their expectations have clearly gone up since then, which is only a good thing for them going forward. Absolutely. A shout-outs as well to Cal Crotchlow, top independent. Top independent in fifth, great and job from him. down at the bottom end of the points... It's the sound of the police. <laughs> Michele Pirro. Michele Pirro, the policeman in 12th. And Nicky Hayden scoring a point on his uh, one-off return ride for Mark VDS for the in for Jack Miller. Jack Miller, yeah. Yeah, great job from, from Nicky Hayden to get a point for the team there. Um, back to World Superbikes for the Honda team for Magni Call in a, mm. um, next weekend. Luckily, in a way, Danilo Petrucci had a very quiet race. And I say luckily because we weren't sure whether he should have raced, given that he yes. was probably suffering concussion-like symptoms, and yet he was cleared to race. We trust that the doctor's decision was... A good one, and, he, and so. he made it through the race okay, but we were a little bit concerned. It was Eugene Laverty's wife, wasn't it, yeah, through Pippa, the red flag? Yeah, it was, it was his wife, Pippa, that mentioned that, you know, the, the, what, what Petrucci was saying in post-race or post-FP3 was that, you know, he didn't remember, he, did, he couldn't remember what was going on. He didn't know what he was doing. That's clearly the signs of a concussion, and we riders probably shouldn't be racing in MotoGP of that level of danger with a concussion. I think that's asking for trouble. Absolutely. Um, we, we saw Valentino Rossi have one of this very Grand Prix a couple of years ago where he, he put a wheel on the AstroTurf and it was slippery and he, he'd gone right into the air fence and he had a concussion and he was allowed to take part in the next race two weeks later. Um, again, maybe he was checked over and cleared and, and whatnot, but Petrucci having a concussion. I mean, concussions in sport is a controversial enough subject as it is. Yeah, big deal. Um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. ended up sitting out half of the 2016 NASCAR season for it, basically. Indeed, and if, if, if that's a thing and that's happening, and that, that's that's worrying that, you know, Petrucci was allowed to race. And he very, I mean, he, he had a problem with his engine brake in the race and, you know, took out Scott Redden as a result. I don't know how much of that was down to him and how much was down to his bike. I mean, he claimed there was an engine braking problem on the Pramac, so who knows what, what, what the true story is regarding that. Um, but I'm, I'm just glad Danilo's okay, and I hope that the three weeks now between now and Mategi, he, he makes a full recovery because, boy, him racing with a concussion was very worrying, and it's it's something that I think sport in general needs to do more work on, More some sports more than others, but MotoGP is a very, very dangerous sport, and I, I think I just hope the doctors didn't drop the ball on this one. I mean, we don't know for sure. Again, maybe the doctors know something we don't, yeah. but... But, we have to trust their judgment. Ultimately. Exactly, exactly. That's what that's what that's what they're here to do. They're, yep. they're, here, they're here to do things like that, and we have to trust them on that. And I just only hope that you know he was checked over, and they knew they, they knew what was going on before clearing him to race, and they were confident that he was okay. Tell you what, though, good weekend for the Marquez brothers. Yes, exactly. Moto two as well. Not just Marquez winning, but um, his brother Alex, the Marquez brother, brother Alex in Moto two finally gets the podium. Gets the gets his first. Brother Ryan was very happy about brother that. Brother Ryan, he actually called me after the race, and I was like, "Yes, it's finally happened," because he's he's a massive Alex Marquez fan and you know for what it's worth we didn't even talk about the fact that Sam Lowe's took a very dominant victory 3.6 seconds in front for the win very easy for Sam Lowe's all weekend long played himself back into the championship picture yep. to a degree yep with, with, with Johan Zarco in 8th and Alex Rins in 6th I mean one there's only a 2 point gap now between Zarco and Rins in the championship and on top of that um, Lowe's is now only 39 off the top with 100 available so you know he's still, he's still an outside chance but if he can get one more result like that and 
bring him to within a race, then who knows, quite frankly. So, again, brilliant ride from Sam Lowe's. I mean, where was that Lowe's all season long? I mean, this is... The, the, the poten- we needed to see it more, didn't we? Yeah, the potential and the promise was always there. Like, Lowe's has always been capable of weekends like this. He's, he's had moments like this before, but it's just week to week, he's just not been strong enough to mount a serious title challenge. He's had too many mistakes. Like, Saxon Ring, he crashed twice, and Austria, he crashed in that one as well. And those back-to-back incidents pretty much robbed him of any real chance of the title and mm. that after both the races were won by Johan Zarco 50 point swing right there yep so you know that's probably put him a little bit too far out of reach but hey we always uh, say about Lewis Hamilton you win the title on your weakest days exactly and you know Zarco's not looked particularly strong in the last couple of rounds but Aragon's always kind of in a bad track for him I think he was 7th there last year as well so Zarco's never particularly gone well around Aragon. I think he'll be much stronger next time around in Mategi. He loves Japan. His, his, his helmet is a tribute to that. He loves Mategi. So he'll be. I think he'll be much stronger next time around. Watch out for Thomas Luti because he won there last year as well. And Luti's not a million miles off. He's 47 points back as well because he finished on the podium in, in, in no, just outside. He finished in fourth place, sorry. Yeah, Franco Morbidelli. Yeah, Mor- Morbidelli very nearly stole second off Marquez. Over there. I'm very nervous if you're in the Mark VDS garage. That was a great battle coming to the line, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marquez, he had no idea what happened going into um, going into the final corner. Like he was half a second in front of Morbidelli, but it all just evaporated over the course of that final lap, and even he wasn't sure why. But apparently, he was he was close to tears. He was delighted to finally get his first podium. I've never seen a guy like celebrate that much over a second place finish, apart from the, an hour beforehand, maybe. I was going to say, we're talking about all these championship battles going down into the final rounds. Yeah, uh, my first the, Moto, the Moto 3-1's kind of done already. Yes. And bro. what style. I mean, if you've, if you've ridden a championship campaign like Brad Binder, you deserve to lock it up with four races to go. Yeah, magnificent, magnificent all season long, Brad Binder. The only real consistent perennial top tier guy in almost every single race he's been in. Binder is always featured for a win or close. He didn't win today. It went to Jorge Navarro, who was very shrewd in how he did it on the final lap. A couple of really clutch passes in there but Brad Binder made the critical pass he passed both of the Grassini Hondas um, Enea Bastianini and Fabio Giantonio around the final corner on to the take outside. S- having around- already made a three wide pass on the outside at turn one the previous lap yes exactly he'd done that to go around the outside of them into the final double apex left hand uh, around the outside to finish in second and second was enough to seal the title regardless of what Bastianini did Bastianini had to finish ahead of him and a lot a lot ahead of him basically yeah basically like- Bastianini had to win and hope Binder didn't finish third or lower basically that was that was the only way that Enea could have taken the title to Mategi three weeks later but it, it wasn't enough Binder got second the first South African GP champion since 1980 um, 36 years in the making um, and so well deserved as well we oh, said absolutely. it all along he's ridden this campaign basically the total antithesis of Danny Kent's campaign last year exactly just just dominant from start to like he had the same level of dominance Danny Kent did last year but unlike Danny Kent he was willing to force the issue a little bit more he he didn't back off and be conservative he tried to win every single Grand Prix that was put in front of him and very often he did I mean he's already had five wins this season as it is Um, which again that run earlier in the year I think was did you say it was Jerez where uh, he, he starts yeah, shotgun on the grid started from the back and then goes on to win it by three seconds was one of the most ridiculous performances I've ever seen in Moto3 that 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 says that said it all to me. He won three on the bounces. Only happened once before in Moto Three. The guys won three races in a row, and just he was just always there, always there, leading from the front. You could always tell he had yeah just a little bit more on every other major rifle, and it's, it shows he's got nearly twice as many points as anybody else in the championship. And this is by no means and his a, confidence is skyrocketing. Exactly, tell. exactly. He's just so much better compared to what he was last year. Um, I mean. 
I, I had Anea Bastianini winning the title this year when I made my predictions on Bike Live earlier this year, but it's 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 amazing how he's been able to curb stomp such a strong field still in an incredible rookie class. We don't we don't give enough credit because no, I mean the rookie class has been it's been sensational this year. Giantonio has been amazing. Powie in the wet. Joanne Mir has been very good. Aaron Canitz had his moments. Um, Bo Benchon has had a couple of podiums here and there. Like the rookie class has been as strong as it's ever been in Moto3, and Binder's just absolutely destroyed them all. So yeah. much, much credit to I just to love the way he clinched the championship, just with that real aggression. As I say, oh, completely yeah. the other side to Danny Kent. It reminds me of a, uh, a video we uh, watched the previous night. Of this is We're recording this on the Sunday, aren't we? Yes. Like immediately after the races. Uh, was it John Boyce, did you say? Yeah, John Boyce made John the video. John Boyce. Yeah. He, in- he introduced me to the world of John Boyce with this video about poker. Mm-hmm. Why the hell do I do this for a living? It's a great watch. If you've got Absolutely. half an hour spare, you don't even have to pay- know much about poker. I know nothing about poker, and yet I found this video fascinating and mm-hmm. quite scary. Yeah. But there, it reminded me in a certain way of, of certain guys, like there was a section about Gus Salmon. Gus, Gus Hansen, yeah. Gus Hansen, yes, who... Um, Went all in every single hand, or almost every single hand, 15 out of 22 hands, needing to win... A, a, a six-way match to get into the playoffs in, in the Poker Superstars tournament. He won 12 out of 13 hands, or the first 13 hands going all in, and he knocked three players out by doing just that, and people basically take it full into his trap. Hansen wasn't even looking at his cards, and that's basically Binder in a nutshell, just maximum aggression yeah. all the way through. And it's almost like if people have tried to challenge him, they're like, come on, we've got to shake him. He's he's he's, he's going to go into a shell. He just doesn't. Doesn't. Shrugged it off every single time. I mean, congratulations to Barabinder once again. A magnificent title campaign. Very well done. I mean, to win it four rounds early in, in Moto Three of all places is absolutely ridiculous. We've been spoiled. We've had we've been very lucky to have very close title fights the last couple of years with Alex Marquez and Rins, Salom Vinales and Rins in 2013. You go Miller and Marquez in 14 last year with Danny Kent and Miguel Oliveira, and now this year I mean, Binders has absolutely destroyed people. And it, it's it it may not be the best for entertainment, but the races have still been amazing. But he's been the one guy at the front every single time, and that's. And that's an incredible testament to his quality in a field that, you know, is, is ridiculously unpredictable. I mean, if you look below him, it's so close between guys like Joanne Mir, um, Navarro, Bastianini, um, Giantonio, all guys that are in the mix. But again, Binder's got nearly twice their point tally. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. But uh, not the most amazing weekend of racing. I mean, the Moto3 finish was pretty good. The we enjoyed mo- watching it. it we enjoyed fun. watching it. I like Aragon as a track. I, it's one Great of my favourites out there. I genuinely would like to see Formula 1 give it a crack because, hey, it can't be any worse than Catalonia. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that it, it can't be worse than that. I, it's I, like I, I was the one who was pulling to go. It's like, oh, the Italian Grand Prix might go to Mugello. No, it's a terrible idea. You what? Like, any worse than Monza at this point? <laughs> Sod it. Man, give it a go. At least it'll be fun for the drivers. Indeed, indeed. So I will now depart and leave you guys to the rest of your podcast with uh, Johnson King and the like. But uh, I'll see you guys on next week's episode. Until then, sayonara. So there we go. There's the full kind of rundown from us of the trio of MotoGP races. King, have you got anything to add to that? I assume anything, but basically anything other than, (laughs) yeah, my boy Binder. (laughs) Okay, first let me start off. My boy Binder is Moto3 world champion. Okay, your boy has become a man. Yeah, like, I really think this is, you know, little uptick. Uh, This is, like, I know, you know, 
KTM has won a Moto3 championship in the past. But this seems like this is, you know, the little harbinger of I, I don't think like their their MotoGP team is going to win races next year. But I'm so excited for KTM now. Moto2 looks like it's going to be strong, especially with Bender going to move up to Moto2. Moto3 is going to be, you know, strong as always. But, you know, it's really getting me excited for, for KTM coming full force next year. Yeah, it's going to be a big one, and that's. I mean, and I'm pretty sure this this other story also probably didn't break when you guys recorded this, but you know, uh, Valentino Rossi is con- is considering staying in MotoGP after 2018. Welp, that was one I didn't hear about before. <laughs> the only other story I was going to mention on this segment was uh, basically Randy Mamola. I-, I knew there was a reason uh- I liked this guy, <laughs> legendary rider Randy Mamola, the former 500 CC uh, world champ, I believe. Um, he basically told Valentino Rossi to mind his manners, which I thought was hilarious. Of course, it just, of course, it just stirred up and it was like lobbing a hand grenade in amongst the most diehard Rossi fanboys or fandoms. Like you think Verstappen's capers are intense and incapable of hearing their boy criticized in any way. Rossi fans, man. Oh my goodness. The hardcore, you know what I mean? Like, and it was just hilarious, but Mamona made a fair point. Like Rossi's career has been about getting under other people's skins and it's like, well, he's either got to rein it back or why, you know, or not be surprised when other people pull those stunts on him. Do you know what I mean? But I'm curious, what's this story about Rossi continuing his career into his forties? Oh God. Like it's, I mean, he wouldn't be 40. He would be, he'd actually be 39 when the 2018 season ends. And, uh, I think it, it was, uh, comments from his crew chief uh, Silvano Gal Galbruza Galbruzera Galbruzera oh god my pronunciation <laughs> we'll is go just, with that yeah Galbruzera but I it I think it's more of comments from him that Rossi doesn't want to quit but it'd kind of be embarrassing for him to be staying that long hmm <laughs> I mean that's like it, we talked about this with IndyCar and we may mention it later about the whole, you know, when you get to a certain age, it's like you're almost taking a risk signing them for longer deals because it's like you don't know when they're going to fall off the cliff and like they're going to slowly sort of fade away. Like, <clears throat> excuse me, like it'll be, you know, like who knows if Rossi's still going to be top quality by then. We assume he will be. Yeah. But I, I think it's going to depend on, you know, because I mean, in motorsport, you can say you don't plan on retiring at a certain point and you're staying there. But if there's no seats available and no one's going to take a punt on you, then the choice is kind of out of your hands. Yeah, like ra- random tangent. People could fall off the cliff just like that. Like I thought, I knew he retired from the national team last year, but I, I thought he retired from all football last year. Landon Donovan, uh, like Landon Donovan still gets played like as a sub for the Galaxy. And I was watching, I think it was the the regular season finale last weekend where they were playing Seattle and Landon Donovan is not like the Landon Donovan of old. He missed an <laughs> open chance on goal. Oh my God, he's so bad. Like he's he's better than the average player in the MLS, but oh my God, he's, <laughs> he's a shadow of his former self now. He's still decent for the MLS, but oh, he's not Landon Donovan levels of decent. Not yeah. anymore. I remember when he came over to Everton for a loan spell a couple of times, and he was he was seriously good. Yeah, Donovan was good when he was good. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's fascinating. Like I, I, I don't know. I think the cult of Rossi will will maintain. So someone will take a punt on him, even if Yamaha decide. 
okay, Rossi, it's been a happy relationship, but your time has come now. And if Rossi's like, nah, it hasn't, I'm still good enough to be here, then probably someone will take a punt on him because, hey, he's still the biggest name, one of the biggest names the sport's ever seen. Yeah, and there's going to be so many factory teams in the series by 2018. Yeah, there's because there's Aprilia obviously coming in, so we'll have Yamaha, Suzuki, Honda, Aprilia, Ducati, you know, are there any KTM? KTM, of course. Are there any else on the horizon? Suzuki, Kawasaki, or are they sticking for superbikes for now? Uh, I heard sticking with superbikes because of the cost, obviously. Yeah, that makes sense. And hey, Kawasaki are OP over in the superbikes right now, so why would they yeah, switch? Yeah, like Kawasaki's OP in superbikes and, you know, motocross, so they don't really need the extra, you know, ad boost. Yeah, certainly not. But uh, I think that'll just about conclude the MotoGP segment. What do you reckon? I think that's about it. Yeah, that, that's about it. I, I'll when when this show is released, I'll be able to hear Dre's hot takes on the race. <laughs> Uh, they were sizzling hot, I've got to say. They were more sizzling <laughs> than the bacon I cooked on Sunday morning. It was all good. But let's move it onwards to... Let's dive straight into IndyCar, where there's been a lot to talk about this past season. So let's do just that right here, right now. season review here because hey we're, we're not ready to stop talking about indycar for the year we really don't please come back indycar, IndyCar why are you why do you just don't end your season in september for god's sake <laughs> why it's just too fun we, we don't want the party to end it's kind of like the complete it is the complete opposite of f1 at this point f1's the sort of boring stiff corporate party where you're just like please please can we go home now oh we've still got five races to go why why, yeah, like, like six? If, if the championship in F1 ended right now, I'd be so happy. Oh, you, you'd be happy. You'd be you'd be up at the bar slamming tequila shots all night with your boy. That would be two of your boys that have graduated into men in one year. Yeah, like we're going by the OSW review standard for boys. Like they can't be champions at things. Yeah, it's basically your favorite guys who are kind of crap. Yeah, or at the very least, like your boys who are not champions but are still all right like my my boys in f1 are nico hulkenberg and sergio perez so they're definitely boy status at this point but um oh god yeah my boys oh god my boys like i mean, i think i think right now my boys in f1 are you know nico rosberg and just just reno in general just <laughs> reno for that french link <laughs> yes just for the French link right there. But hey, yeah, I mean, and Okan. Okan. Okan's my new boy. He's my new boy. Okan. Well, while we're talking about boys, let's start our IndyCar season review. Another one of you boys became a man. This was the year of Simon Pagenaud. And it's funny how we were talking at the start of the year about uh, Penske kind of lighting a rocket under the arses of the drivers in his camp. He was like, the weakest performing driver would be cut. And we all interpreted it as basically, yeah, we're not referring specifically to you, Pag, but um, better step it up there, boy. Boy, did he. <laughs> <laughs> oh my what it's like five top two finishes in the first five races like two two second place finishes and three wins in the first five races i mean that was a remarkable start to the season i remember that start of the season it's quite funny because it was like meet 2016 same as 2015 initially at st petersburg pretty good race out there but it was one Pablo montoya took the win and you're like well this is awfully familiar and then after that Mm, yeah, kind of became the pad show. Yeah, became the pad show. Then uh, five hundred, he qualified eighth, and then ended up 
I think he didn't finish the race. No, no, he ended up finishing, but it was 19. And then he kind of slowly mellowed out for a bit in Detroit, but got the second place in the second race. And then basically... And he's always been good at Detroit. That's where he got one of his breakthrough wins for uh, Schmidt-Peterson. Yeah. So he got his first win in IndyCar, actually. And basically, besides Pocono, after that, he was in the top 10 every race. Correct. He won almost every race, except for Road America. And yeah, after that, oh, uh, no, actually Pocono. Pocono yeah, was not I a good one Yeah, I said Pocono, yeah. Yeah, Road American Pocono, but all the rest, man. Like, he did literally, when the pressure came on, from, particularly from teammate Will Power near the end of the season, boy, he, he got it. Like, the clincher was really Watkins Glen, let's be honest. I mean, two important moments for me were at Texas, where he goes four wide with Kanan, Rahal, and Hitchcliffe <laughs> for the lead at the end of that insane second attempt at the race after the first attempt was rained off and delayed from three months earlier. And he goes for four wide there for the win. And you almost see him go, it's like a sort of poker face moment. It's like, now, do you know what? I'm folding because this isn't quite worth it. And so he finishes fourth there. And then at Watkins Glen the next week, he and Power start basically side by side with each other. And it's the middle stint of the race, which I think won in the championship. It's kind of gone under the radar. But in the middle stint, he went longer than a lot of people. And people were going, well, you know, the, the commentators are going, well, surely he's got a pit now. He's going to be losing time. Actually, Powell was jammed up in traffic. Pagano was out in empty. He was in clean air and he used it to his advantage. He came out of the pits like five or six places up the road from Power. Power then had his own accident with Charlie Kimball, who is, of course, to blame for everything. If Sarah Connors is to be believed. But... It's, yeah, that was kind of for me. I don't know if you agree, King. I mean, obviously his perfect performance at Sonoma was just the icing on the cake, really. Yeah. He sealed the deal under the greatest pressure. But that middle stint of Watkins Glen, it kind of went under the radar at the time, but I honestly think that was where he clinched it. Yeah, that that's definitely where the championship was won because by the time the Glen was over, there was it was basically his championship to lose. Yeah, power had too much to do, especially coming off some concussion-like symptoms at Watkins Glen. But, you know, he was cleared for Sonoma and he was all good, but it just seemed to be a mountain to climb. And really, Padge kind of went the other way from what Montoya did the previous year, where he had such a strong first half of the season. And then it sort of, it was like the lead that felt like you can never overcome it. And then eventually Scott Dixon did because he's Scott Dixon. That's what he does. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, like it's just a marvelous, I think my only, my only downer on the season, it was another good IndyCar season. 2015 was one of my favorites of all time in terms of IndyCar seasons. It was a great one. I think this year was very good. Uh, I like the fact they're bringing back former classic races in IndyCar and open wheel racing in America back to the schedule. My only gripe still with the schedule, Sonoma's not a final race. I don't yeah, think Sonoma please, should be a championship decider. No. It's a good penultimate race, but yeah, honestly, I think we I talked about it with Dre last week, where where he kind of groaned that he missed out on Fontana being the finale. Yeah, well, I'd kind of go in a different direction because I I know Fontana had its own issues in terms of scheduling as the final round because it was in a kind of awkward time zone. Um, but hear me out on this one, King. I pitched this one to Dre. He seemed to like it. Now. Let's take it back. Obviously, when car and IndyCar split, uh, the famous open wheel split of the 1990s, IndyCar had the Indy 500. So car were like, oh, we've just lost our signature race. Let's mm. make a new premier 500 mile race. Do you know where they took it, King? Yes, I know. Uh, the, the rolling hills of Brooklyn, Michigan. The, the US 500 at Michigan. How about that returning as a season finale? Uh. 
As long as you change the name. As long as you change the name to the Michigan 500, I'd be fine with it. So it's not the Murica 500 anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, ooh, I'd say keep this, like, bring back the Vandy, the Vanderbilt Cup out of retirement. Because it, yeah. it was, it was the championship, it was the championship trophy for Champ Car when they became the Champ Car World Series. And before that, it was the U.S. 500 trophy because they somehow were able to... So for some reason, like, oh, you know, the first ever major trophy in U.S. motorsport, we should bring that back and make a replica and make that our, you know, U.S. 500 trophy. Like, to be honest, that was, like, a smart idea, but too bad, like, it, the U.S. 500 did not pan out as a race. Yeah, and that's a shame. I would like to see it return as a season finale because I think Michigan would be slightly better in terms of spectators and it's a slightly racier venue for open wheelers than Fontana, although Fontana was absolute pants on head craziness last year. But I think you can avoid, I, you know, I'd love Fontana back and bring it back sort of more mid-season, but I don't know. I yeah. like the fact of having a premier race and it kind of justifies having double points because, hey, it's a big 500 mile oval race. It's a big premier race. Yeah, like p- part of me wants the finale to be a New York finale, like maybe use the the Glenn? New Jersey street course that, you Ooh. know, F1 wasn't going to use because if F1 was going to race there and it looked decent enough for F1, IndyCar could sure as hell have a great race there. Ooh, I like that thought process. I like that. But it, really, that's my sort of only yeah. gripe with the past season. And another thing to note, really, and a thing I found interesting was how some of the breakout stars of the 2015 season kind of consolidated this year. Graham Rahal yes. and Joseph Newgarden really had huge, you know, I'm here and I'm ready to kick some ass in 2015. They kind of really broke cover as the next stars of the series. This year, they kind of, it was all about sort of proving that it was like a sort of sofa more slump in a way, but they were still impressive in their own right. I mean, the fact that Newgarden comes back from breaking a clavicle, basically busting his collarbone at, at the original running of the Texas race. He then goes on to finish sixth at Road America, one of the toughest, probably the toughest and one of the fastest tracks in America, and then goes on to absolutely dominate Iowa the next week in a race where he had most of the field a lap down within the first 100 laps. That is the sort yeah. of beatdown you just don't <laughs> inflict unless you're Scott Dixon on a particularly good day. Oh, and even but, he uh, struggles to hit those levels. I but, mean, King, but it's, this was magic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just magic. It was insane. He, he broke his collarbone. He finished dead last on three separate occasions and still finished fourth in the championship. And he won. If they still had the separate oval and road course titles, he would have won the oval championship. Yes, without even racing in Texas. <laughs> oh, it's just a phenomenal season. So no wonder he's now being linked to the Penske seat. We're still not confirmation on that. I mean, we've we've still got some silly season stuff to talk about, but uh, he's basically turned his phone off for the next fortnight and gone on holiday. So basically, that's a, that's his mess, his way of saying, Marshall, Robin, do not try and call me for the next two weeks. I'm off on holiday. I ain't talking to anyone. Don't get me to mention the P word. Um, so. But I mean, what, what about the other two Penske guys? Helio Castroneves and Juan Pablo Montoya. Like, like Elio had a quiet season, but somehow was still able to finish third. On the other hand, Juan Pablo Montoya wins the first race and finishes eighth in the championship. Yeah, well, I mean, let's get into this now. Let's have a talk about IndyCar's silly season. I mean, it's taken another twist. Uh, and Marshall Pruitt has dropped yet another great article about this all. He dropped it on September 22nd, actually, for Road and Track. It's called Silly Season, and this year it's sillier than ever, is the subtitle. And boy, does it live up to that, really. I mean, he literally goes on to predict that up to a quarter of all the cars that finished the 
uh, Sonoma race this year could have different drivers for next year. That's how crazy this one could be. We know Borde is pretty much off to Dale Coyne. KVSH racing uh, apparently without a driver. They're now teasing something for Thursday this week. So by the time this episode goes live, we'll know what that is. It was a picture of a champ car. So... I don't know what that means. Maybe they're hoping to be like, oh, we've run out of money, but we've got this old champ car. They'll, will they let us run that next year? I don't know. but uh, it, Maybe they're bringing back one of their former drivers from the champ car days. Who would they be, though? That's a, I meant to look this up the other day. Um, who were their former champ car drivers? KV Racing Technology back in the day. Um, oh, Neil Yarny. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Herder, get back in the seat. Hey. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm looking here. There's, well, Oriel Servia. Well, if you really want to go out, wow. <laughs> if you really want to go out on a leg, maybe it's Catherine Leg. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> I, I didn't realize I was g- going <laughs> to do it until I said it. I. <laughs> or we could go for Chris Cook's favorite, Christiana D'Amata. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a it's a. I mean, Jimmy Vassar is he? St- no, he, well, he's one of the co-owners of the team now. Yeah, but, like um, it, we know it, it's not going to be Rubens or Simona. Oh God, TK. I, it, I have a feeling it's either going to be TK or Sato, depending on where Juan Pablo Montoya Ooh, lands. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> that's another thing. AJ Foyt Racing are basically clearing the decks this year, it seems. it seems Jack Horsworth has been below mediocre for the past two seasons, which is disappointing because I've wanted to hear his spectacular northern accent on the TV <laughs> a lot more. It, it, it is wonderful just seeing US reporters get completely bamboozled by that. Yeah, it's not too bad a race, actually. I mean, uh, the car was a bit loose over in turn four, but, uh, you know, it's not too bad. And they're just like, uh, is this guy, are we sure this guy's British? Uh, like, what, what? I, I can't understand what saying. What, what's what's going on? I can't. This, this, this sounds nothing like Down Abbey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Forsooth, thine car was perfection through thine corners. Thus, yeah, none of that. But anyway, let's let's bring it back to some sort of reality. AJ Foyt Racing looking to be clearing the decks, which would imply that Sato's gone. Uh, yeah. And can I just say there was some there was some low level savagery from Pruitt in this article as well. Let me find the quote here. <laughs> I mean, this was low-key savage right here from Pruitt. The hapless Japanese hero Takuma Saito might might have hit his final war for AJ Foyt, which means his personal sponsorship and free engines from Honda would be available to any team with the odd desire to train mechanics through frequent crash rebuilds. I read that. I read that, and I was like, wow. Imagine Takuma sat at home being like, oh, Pruitt's written an article about... Damn, man. Let me just get some (laughs) ointment for that burn. No, no, no. I need, I need to call emergency services. <laughs> oh, state of that message. I mean, goodness me. But, I mean, it, yeah, all indications point to Foyt clearing the decks. And, you know, I mean, basically, the two guys, the two veterans who have been linked to all these seats from, you know, the potential free seat at Ganassi to the Foyt decks to KVSH, maybe, Tony Kanan and Juan Pablo Montoya. It looks like Montoya's gone from Penske but he's still talking very boldly about being on the grid next year. So he could turn up from anywhere from who knows a a swan song at Ganassi's not off the table. Tony Kanaan, we know he's still full of speed, but if Ganassi decide not to re-sign him, 
then he's a good pick for anyone, really, especially if you're a younger team, especially if you're a guy who needs experience and needs someone on the table who can deliver top results, which, let's be honest, AJ Foyt Racing fit the bill down to the ground. I mean, Foyt is a hard-nosed competitor. We've always known that about him. And the mediocrity his team have been running through for kind of the last few seasons, aside from Sato's odd glimpses of brilliance, won't be good enough for him. So he's going to be probably going to be trying to sell quite high, surely. Yeah, and the thing is, if you have the resume of someone like Tony Kanaan or Juan Pablo Montoya, you can also bring sponsors, and that's what the small teams mm. are probably most looking at when they when they look for drivers. Absolutely, yeah. Another seat that appears to be becoming available is the full time seat at Ed Carpenter Racing, the number twenty one, because all reports yeah. still indicate that Newgarden will be headed to Penske to replace Montoya. Pruitt toys with the idea, the fascinating idea of Montoya basically swapping seats with Newgarden and looking to try and avenge Penske you know, sacking him <laughs> off in favor of this young noob. Um, that'll be quite an entertaining narrative to follow. Certainly more entertaining than the Mercedes teammate narrative anyway. Uh, we have, you know, what looks to be a little bit of reshuffling of the decks at Andretti Autosport. Carlos Munoz is losing a lot of the backing that his father brings. And in an odd, you know, in an odd twist in things, we often talk about how the myth of pay drivers is nowhere near as strong as people think. Munoz is effectively a pay driver by most people's definitions, but guess what? He's actually really good. He was the yeah. top Andretti driver this year, ahead of just ahead of Alexander Rossi, the rookie. And yet it looks and like and he Mo- finished second in the 500 again. To Rossi, yeah, it was an Andretti one-two <laughs> effectively. But like, it could be Munoz that could be in trouble there. It depends on if Andretti's got the sponsors and the the funds available to hire him as a paid professional driver rather than him bringing money in because he's, I mean, he's got enough talent to do so. But it's very tricky over there. Rossi, what we're hearing over there seems to be that he has a three-year contract on the table at Andretti, but seems to be sandbagging to maybe look about other offers. I mean, King is fairly certain that he's off. He's not waiting for any offers from F1. So yeah. where does he hope he'll be going instead of Andretti? Mm, well, or is he just can... playing this smart? Is he just winding that, if, to use the poker metaphor, is he just waiting to kind of check to see what he's got? Is he holding? I, I think... I think it's hoping on the other two big teams because both of them have open seats. And while, you know, a lot of people like Chip Ganassi has also made it clear that he would also like Joseph Newgarden. And if you can't get Newgarden and you want another young, talented American, you can always pick up Alexander Rossi. Yeah. And I mean, Pruitt and Robin Miller, I think it was Robin Miller who linked Rossi potentially to Penske. I mean, it's a big story. The winner of the 100th Indy 500, former Formula One guy who missed his chance over there despite showing a lot of promise. The story's there to be written. But for me, I I don't feel like Rossi's going to get any better than Andretti. And I I just hope he doesn't sandbag himself out of a solid deal here. He's got to be smart, though. He's, He's, to my mind, he's probably playing this very smart. Yeah, he's playing it very smart. He, he's, you know, an Indy 500 champion, so his stock is very high, and he wants to make sure that he makes the most of this. Like, who knows? He could end up back at Ganassi and be teammates with Max Chilton again. Yeah, that's very interesting as well, because, I mean, Chilton's got his own rumors about the potential for Carlin to join the series next year. King, you're resolute in that they won't join until the new body shell's coming in 2018, but the rumor going around appears to be that they'll they'll only join this time around if it's a deal to kind of take over KVSH, because they're the ones in trouble. Yeah, that's what I heard being the new deal, which which makes sense. Like... For me, I, I really feel adamant that they're going to, like, full-time is going to be 2018. Like, if they do anything next year, it would probably be a part-time deal in partnership with KVH. With, with KVH. I mean, KVSH. 
uh, with, you know, Ed Jones having his, you know, three race scholarship, which includes the month of May. Yeah. And that'll be interesting to go along with that as well. Uh, the other the other guys really to look out for. I mean, there's a lot of younger guys kind of floating under the radar, the guys who are looking around for part time deals, you know, the one off 500 rides. You know, you've got your usual names floating around there. Uh, R.C. Ennison really put people on notice with the three races at Coin that he had this year. Del Coin, he was pretty strong. Yeah done enough to do a full, earn a full-time seat next year with how with how select the places are probably not uh but the other big one the big question mark i think max chilton is trying to negotiate a deal at ganassi he looks like he's he's got a ride over there but it depends on whether he's happy with the deals that are being placed on the table for him at carl uh, <laughs> at ganassi <laughs> uh the alternative would be if carlin step up next year we know Chilton and Carlin go back way back. Of course, Carlin gave him his opportunity in America in the Indy Light Series. Uh, the last guy, really, no one quite knows what's going on with him. is Connor Daly. So yeah. sadly, Danny Brennan and Lizzie Worth, your boy has some nervous months ahead. But I mean, no one quite knows what the deal with Dale I Coyne mean, is at the moment, whether it's... you know the sponsor that brought him in, Daly in full time, is sticking around on that car and wants Daly to stay, or if they had a say in bringing Bourdais in as a replacement. And, you know, even if Daly leaves Coin, he's still got, you know, I'd like the look of him at Ed Carpenter Racing. I think he'd be very good over there. And he's got some big fans. AJ Foyt gave him one of his first starts in IndyCar. So he's got friends in the paddock. So hopefully he should be all right either way. Yeah, hopefully he'll get a ride somewhere. Hopefully it's full-time and not part-time somewhere. But, oh... His his old star Mazda team has been in the rumor mill of coming up to be a, a big car team. Yunkos Yunkos uh, Motorsport, yeah, Yunkos yes, Racing, about that, yeah. yeah. So maybe yeah. he can get a deal with them if they come up. And I mean, there are a bunch of other guys that I would just love to see in a seat. Spencer Piggott, we didn't mention. Uh, probably Pippa's looking out for some part time rides, and you know, again, the usual. <laughs> Yeah, that's, there's, there's the usual sort of guys who are looking around for, you know, they'll be around for the, the month of May, you know, Pippa Mann, J.R. Hildebrand, probably Sage Caron be in there as well. I hope Sage Caron gets more opportunities because, boy, does yeah. that guy deserve some after the, the run he's had in the past year or so. But, I mean, basically still not much is, there's still a lot to be decided in IndyCar Silly Season. It'll be interesting seeing all the decks fall. Um, overall, though, 2016 was a really, really fun year. And the fact that IndyCar actually get the online fan base and have uploaded all their races this year to YouTube, you have no excuse. If you've been one of those people that's been on the fence about it, if you're a Formula One diehard and you're not quite sure about this IndyCar thing, go check out the races from this year. I mean, best yeah, races yeah. this year, King, I'm I'm thinking off the top of my head, Barber was a ripper race. Uh, Texas, obviously, probably a slam dunk winner for the best race of the year. The Indy 500 was tense from first flag. Yeah, tense and spectacular first flag to last. What other good ones we got? We, we had plenty, really. I mean, Ooh, the average yeah. race quality, I'd say, is higher than Formula 1 at this point. Like, I'd probably say the worst race of the season was either Long Beach or Iowa. And those were, like, uh, I would say Long Beach is still watchable. And that's the worst race of the season. Put it this way. It was still a step above the Italian Grand Prix from this year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, at first, like, oh, God, this race is terrible. I'm not going to see anything this bad this year. Then Italy happens. I'm like, wow, what was I talking about? <laughs> yeah, like, literally, if I've said it all along. If your two wishes for Formula One is that you want drivers with more personality and more overtaking and on-track action, 
IndyCar is here for you. Honestly, like one of its top drivers, James Hinchcliffe, he's doing Dancing with the Sodding Stars right now. <laughs> that, that's personality for you, and surely. It, like, and the crazy thing is, he's not even the first driver to be on the show. <laughs> yeah, because Helio Castroneves has already been on there and won it. Yes. So there bar, you go. The bar is set high, Hinch. The bar is set high. No pressure at all, Hinch. In fact, I, I've literally used James Hinchcliffe in this past month to get a friend of mine into IndyCar. She isn't even a fan of racing. Like, she's literally not even a motorsport fan. I've been hanging out with a lot of new friends of mine lately. Um, and great people, of course, but they're not really into motorsport in any way, which is fair enough. You get weird people like that. But, like, <laughs> one of them is uh, Canadian. She recently went home to Canada. She's been living in London for the past uh, five years, I want to say. And... I, uh, me and Dre literally said, hang on, here's a, here's a test of Hinchcliffe's popularity. Let's see if we can get her into IndyCar based just on James Hinchcliffe. Guess what? We're planning to go to the Indy 500 next year. So mm. I'd say mission success for now anyway. So James, keep being you. It's working. Let's head into the any other business section. We've got a few scattered stories to talk about. And, well, I guess one of them kind of has to do with Formula One. So, yes, we can't get through a week without talking about bloody F1 and the politics off track. But, King, I mean, you know a lot more about this story than I do. This might not be all too depressing. We might not have our usual, uh, we've got to talk about F1 politics again. Uh, Yeah, this is actually like, I had to <laughs> think about it for a bit. It's like, is there any, like, sad sad part about this story it's like mm, no not really like mainly uh i think let me get the bad news out of the way um despite the rights to f1 being sold um all the contract like make no don't have any pipe dreams or like any daydreams all of F1's current television contracts will still be honored by F1 management's new ownership. So F1 will be exclusively on Sky in the upcoming years. Yeah, so don't be getting, don't be getting, like, literally, like, for all, you know, meet the old boss, same as the old, meet the new boss, same as the old boss in that respect, in that Bernie Eccleston's still going to be around for a few years yet. We haven't quite got rid of him as much as many people want to, but... There are some positive things on the horizon in the... Yes. I, I mean, let's start with something that I'm a little bit mixed on. Potential new format for race weekends. Okay, new format for race weekends. Uh, essentially, they w they want to make Grand Prix more an event. Like, oh God, what do I, what do I compare this to? I wouldn't say like, like a festival a sort of thing. Yeah, like, like they definitely want to go for a festival vibe. They want to have more concerts. If you don't know, um, Liberty Media also run also wholly own live nation the, the live nation concert promotion group oh i where, see so they want to make it a whole festival atmosphere and they want five days of events starting starting on wednesdays and ending on sunday wow and how do they intend to do that uh two days of practice so wednesday and thursday are practice qualifying on friday just like nascar and uh a, uh, a non-point sprint race on <laughs> on on Saturday and the Grand Prix on Sunday. Now, 
I like the proposal. I like it in theory. I just struggle with the idea of, a, and this has been floated before, you know, oh, qualifying races, spawn ah, point sprint race, blah, and it'll be a great way to make the weekend exciting and blah. But, I mean, Formula One is probably one of the most conservative motorsports in the world in terms of these guys go out on a Sunday, predict probably where they're going to finish and prepare for that. There's very little gambling. There's very little let's go balls to the wall and try something completely ridiculous because they've run the numbers on basically everything. You know what I mean? Yes. So my question to you is this. If you give them a non, especially a non-points race on the Saturday, what incentive do they have to actually race and not risk crashing and tearing up cars for the Sunday Grand Prix? Oh, God. Like, to be honest, if if I had to do a, a format that would work for a Sunday race... I would have essentially, I think I said this before, a lottery system, but for for the entire grid, because usually when I think about a lottery system, it would only for the top 10, but qualifying, then lottery system for the whole grid. Then with that mixed up grid, have the sprint race on Saturday. And then when the race is over, finishing order is your starting order on Sunday. So you have at least the idea that the positions in the sprint race will count for something on Sunday. Yes, and uh, the good teams will be in a bad position and want to make that up very quickly because they don't have a lot of time to do so. Yeah, and that, that, I I can see a little bit more of a motivation there. I can see a little bit more of an incentive to race a bit more on the Saturday. But I, I don't know. I, I mean, if I'm going for an extension of the format, I appreciate, you know, qualifying on the Friday, make that the big day, extend everything out a bit. But on the Saturday, I'd quite like that to be support race day. I'd build that as a sort of, you know, in the way that the Rugby Sevens World Tour has these big yes. events where they have group stage matches all day one day and then the next day they have the knockout games coming almost thick and fast after each other. Imagine a sort of rotating schedule. I mean, what's on the support card at the moment? Like kind of like, you know, the Tocker, the British Touring Car Championship has a huge selection of support series. At the moment in F1, you've got GP2 and 3 and the Porsche uh, Super Cup. Yeah, but I, I think, I think... I think it's 2018 or 2017. I'm pretty sure it's eventually going to get pushed back to 2018 where uh, GP2 is going to become Formula 2. And that would be really, it would be a really great thing to have Formula 2 have its own dedicated day and Sky Sports actually talk about it. Because when it comes to broadcasting GP2, they don't do any coverage for it. They just play the world feed with their own, with the world feed commentators and that's it. They don't have pre-race or post-race or anything. Yeah, because they're having to squeeze in so much talk about the F1. Uh, like if you watch Sky, they have a lot of free time, but yeah, if, but they choose to fill it with F1 stuff mostly. Yeah. So if, if you can get Jeep, if you get Formula 2 more attention, it would be, you know, a great boon to all the people who think, oh, like F1's the end all be all. And when F1's boring, everything is boring. Like GP2 yeah. is great racing to watch. Yeah. And I think making that the headliner on Saturdays would be great i think that'd be a great move almost like how at rock music or at music festivals you have headliners on each day uh the formula two would be a great one for the saturday night you know imagine that like saturday evening racing in that sort of respect that'd be a great party to have especially if liberty media are trying to go in that direction and i'd, I'd quite like what they did a few years ago in the v8 supercars where at 
Bathurst for the 1000, uh, their support series, what their headline support series is the Dunlop V8 supercar development series. Yeah. And they gave them their own dedicated, I want to say 250 kilometer endurance race. Wow. <laughs> so they literally gave them a 90 minute endurance race on the, you know, the day before the 1000. So you had drivers who were mostly co-driving in the big event. It'll be like, I, I don't know how you compare it really. I mean, it'll be like if Formula 2 ends up having races that are like, 60 or 75% or a one-off 75% length, almost Grand Prix length race on the Saturday, you know, a real kind of marquee event. So yeah, that, I think from that perspective, that could really work. Yeah. yeah like, Especially if they other, can make it like a sort of Saturday evening thing as well. Like I say, a real like festival atmosphere. Yeah. Like other things I would change would mainly be down to the current GP2 rules. You know, the usual banning of champions and the whole discouraging of drivers staying there too long. Like really try to build up GP2 or the future Formula 2 as a second division for F1. Yeah, make it legit in its own right, in, in the same way that the championship in this country is a legit second division of football to the Premier League. Yes. It's a it's a rich division. You know, it's it's got plenty of money in it in its own right and plenty of TV coverage. So surely the second tier to F1 should go a similar way. That would be a good way of doing it. But, I mean, in terms of online and digital media, this is something we've often criticised the current FOM and Bernie Eccleston for being completely prehistoric in their attitudes to. You know, Bernie has admitted he doesn't get social media. He doesn't care about younger fans as much. He wants to reach out to the older folks who've got the money to buy new Rolexes because they're the things on the sides of the cars. And we're all sitting here as skint 20-somethings going, cheers, Bernie. Nice <laughs> to know you actually appreciate us watching your bloody sport. But... Things might be about to change. We might be about to get some people who are actually slightly more down with the kids. Yes, Liberty Media have made it publicly known. They publicly stated that they are exploring direct-to-consumer broadcasting methods. So what kind of way would that take? Would that be online streaming more? Uh, Yes, maybe. Like... For them to it, do- is it the NFL who have signed a deal this year to stream games on Twitter? Yes, all the Thursday night football games this year are available on Twitter. That's amazing. I, I should keep that in mind. Is that available to the world or just yes, in America? Yes, to the world, to the world. It's not region locked at all. They have they For free? Have, yeah, yeah, wow. for free. I should, I should try that at some point. <laughs> actually put my official Baltimore Ravens jersey that my friend in Baltimore bought me for Christmas a few years ago. I actually put that to good use and watch some NFL. Like, just, just to go off on like a wild tangent, like... Thursday night football has kind of been a way for the NFL to own more days of the week. And I wouldn't Mm. say Thursday night football, the matchup on Thursday night is not particularly good most of the times. Like it's decent. It's decent. It's not terrible, but it's it's not something that you'd normally see as a marquee matchup. But as a thing to bring new fans in by giving it out for free on social media, that's a pretty decent way of bringing eyeballs to the product. Yes, just Thursday night. If 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 you don't even need a cable scri- subscription, you just need to have access to anything that has Twitter. Because I think I watched one Thursday night football game on my phone. Wow, that is remarkable. I, I should give that a try. Actually, I mean, I'm used to staying up for ridiculous U.S. time zones anyway for NASCAR. So it's not like yeah. NFL is going to do that. I think Dre is permanently on an on a <laughs> his his internal body clock reads to Eastern time rather than GMT anyway. So. Uh, I've just seen an article posted as well. This was another story that dropped. Um, Zach Brown uh, stepped down as uh, CEO of the CSM Sport and Entertainment Group. And it appears to be King that he is setting up to be 
in some sort of position of authority alongside Chase Carey, the new chairman of F1, some sort of senior role at Liberty Media? Yeah, like... Uh, apparently, the way Liberty Media want to run F1, they want to have two people in charge. They want, like, when Bernie leaves, they want two people to take over Bernie's positions where they have one person, probably Chase, probably Chase Carey, run the commercial side of things and how F1 interacts with the fans and the media and everything that side. And then one person run F1, the sport, what they would like the rules ah. to be to make the racing on track more entertaining. So sort of like in the same way that NASCAR has Brian France as the overall kind of head honcho and then Steve O'Donnell as the vice president of competition. Yes, yes, I would say just like that. That's that's a pretty neat way of doing things. So, I mean, overall, this, I mean, do we have enough reasons to be quietly optimistic about Liberty Media coming in? Or uh, do you think we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves and not much is going to change? I would say... I would say you have the right to be more than quietly optimistic, but don't expect change overnight. I would say it's going to be small, little, gradual things over the course of a couple of years. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what to be expected in F1 anyway. No change happens quickly in F1 anyway. So, but I think there's there's a lot to be kind of excited about here. It's just nice to hear people finally in F1 start to seemingly embrace the digital age. I mean, we've seen Formula E do it, IndyCar. You know, these are all pioneers of ways to connect. I mean, I still believe the Bundesliga has some of the best uh, social media engagement and interaction methods in sport, the way they put games online. They have really funny stuff like the Bundesliga to kill time during the, the off-season and the winter break. I really think, you know, F1 has a goldmine of stuff. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, the potential of like a WWE network-style thing for F1. That would be, you know, absolute... It would go do absolute gangbusters, but I think it's kind of a lot to expect given that the WWE themselves still aren't making that much money off the network and they're one of the richest organizations in sport. So, you know, like, I mean, it's going to be difficult, but I mean, have Liberty Media talked about old races going up online sort of thing, you know, like a kind of archive, a network for F1 in that sort of way? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so at all. It, it seems to, they've been very vague but also specific that they that they know what avenues they want to go down, but they haven't really specifically pointed out where they're going to stop along that avenue. Yeah, so it's it's hard to predict exactly where it's going to go. I'm cautiously optimistic. Color me optimistic. I'm not quite as cynical as Dre normally, and we're still cynical fuckers anyway. But I don't know. This might be pretty decent, you know. Yeah, like also I'm just. Like they've been very, you know, they they've been very open to say that we we know how this digital media landscape is heading and they know how it works. They specifically mention how, you know, they own the Atlanta Braves, so they know MLB Advanced Media and MLB Advanced Media runs the digital media of think Major League Baseball and I think also the NHL. And they're pretty much if you want to watch the game and you want to pay for it, they'll give it to you. Uh, the other big story in the Any Other Business section this week is the return of BMW to international motorsport. Not in F1, so any of you BMW Sauber diehards from back in the mid-2000s, put your nostalgia caps away. However, Aww. any of you guys who remember their days of the BMW M3 GT2 at Le Mans and their great battles with Corvette Racing and Ferrari in that, rejoice, because the two series they're returning to, well, joining in 2018, 
or in the next couple of years, I should say, are the FIA World Endurance Championship in the GT division, not the LMP1 division as previously speculated, but they will be in the GT division alongside Ford, Chevrolet, Ferrari, Aston Martin, Porsche, a stellar lineup over there, BMW returning for more of the fun. I mean, so they're already many in the- factories. Oh, goodness me. They're already in, obviously, in IMSA with the yeah. M6 GT not three. Yeah, with the um, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan team. Yeah, so they're already in over there, but they're coming back to WEC, coming back to international competition. And in this trend we're seeing lately of a lot of factories wanting to join the Formula E party, they're tying up with Amlin Andretti next year. So, yes. King, I remember a few weeks ago, we talked about this whole expansion into big factory efforts for Formula E. It's another step closer to that, surely. Yeah, this is another step closer. BMW has been fairly open that they want Andretti to eventually, down the line, become a full-fledged BMW factory team. So, I mean, that seems to be the way a lot of these teams are going. You know, Audi have their tie-up with the app team. Yeah. Uh, and for me, what it really seems to me is that these manufacturers are a little bit tentative on joining full big style seemingly to me i mean this seems to be what bmw's hang up is they want to if they're going to join formula e as fully fledged factory teams they want to show a bit more road relevance for the electric technology and at the moment the having to change an entire car when the batteries run flat concept is kind of holding them back am i right i i think that's the biggest gripe with the series in general from car manufacturers and from from the quote-unquote die-hard motorsports fans that you have to switch cars during a race. Mm. I mean, uh, Tesla kind of launched the electric GT series that is coming out. That's going to be basically a one-make Tesla Model S series initially, but it'll be interesting to see how that goes as well with actual kind of road cars racing. I don't think Tesla's officially involved in that series. I think that like a bunch of- I think they've just endorsed it a lot more. Yeah, they just endorsed it. But like some persons will go, gone out and bought like a ton of Tesla S's to race. Just like, hey, a sort of billionaires just like, hey, you know what? Let's have some fun with some Teslas. They're pretty fast. Let's just put them all in. What is it? Berserk mode and yep. have fun. Uh, I did enjoy. There was an article about the whole launch and they were talking about, oh, well, these Teslas are actually really close to stock. Uh, we've upgraded the suspension, the brakes, the the interior slightly. We've put a roll cage in there. We've also upgraded the you know the the drivetrain, the chassis, the uh, batteries. That's this whole list of modifications. But apart <laughs> from that, it's quite close to the road car. I'm like, so you've kind of race modified it then. So yeah, it kind of isn't that close to the road car at all. But hey, close enough. I mean, it's as close as any touring car. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes in terms of Formula E. But like Porsches appear to be going for the the battery tender contract for 2018. Yeah. This is I, I know, don't think I don't think the Porsche battery tender thing is gonna be to like them looking at a factory effort with the team. Like uh McLaren still runs. Like it it reminded me last weekend of uh, you know the smart dash and the new NASCAR on the on the Sprint Cup cars. It, oh yeah, yeah. I, I saw it turn off and go to default, and I just saw that iconic swoosh, and I'm like, oh yeah, McLaren are the standard ECU suppliers of NASCAR. <laughs> yeah, it's strange in that capacity. It's like they you sort of forget about that. You don't associate McLaren with NASCAR, but that's who are supplying the ECUs over there now. So that could be how Porsche kind of, I guess Porsche are kind of like, well, if we supply batteries, we can kind of have a little bit of a closer look and see what this Formula E nonsense is all about and see if it's worth joining in ourselves. Yeah, and it, it's interesting to see all this support come to Formula E. I still remember a couple of months before their first race, after the official launch, where everyone's like, this is going to end up like A1GP. This is going to last like a couple of years and just vanished. 
Well, I think to be honest to you, what's helping is the fact that it seems the electric car as a concept is a legitimate thing. You know, the rise in electric cars is really becoming a thing now. So it appears, you know, the fact is, had that not happened, Formula E would have been dead in the water as an experimental thing. Yeah. I definitely think it has. Its, I've thought all along it has its place in motorsport as an interesting diversion. I, I mean, it depends on how real car production goes. You know, like if we end up in 50 years time, not even being able to drive our own cars, you know, uh, then well, Formula One will be electric and autonomous. But who well, knows? like a bunch of countries have already said by, I think, 2025 or 2030, it will be illegal to sell uh, non-electric or hybrid cars. I know the Netherlands is one of those countries. Yeah, they're really starting to push hard for it in some of the EU states, aren't they? This is yeah. a, a pretty big deal. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm an old school guy who likes old V8 muscle cars, so... This yeah. talk of smaller, t- like the thought, the rumor that the Chevrolet Corvette C8 could have a turbo V6 in it is breaking my heart. The, the whole the, reason the, the that the Corvette. The fact that it's mid engine is breaking my heart. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like the Corvette's finally gone, do you know what? Fuck it. We just want to rival Ford and Ferrari yeah, at this we're point. Go, we're and going you're like, Europe. No. <laughs> we're going Europe. <laughs> yeah, and like America itself are like, uh, what, what happened to our sports cars? Um, Dodge, are you still. Please tell me you're still making the Charger Hellcat. Yeah, for now. I guess that'll do. I'll do. Or the, the Challenger Hellcat in that way. But hey, I, I I hope we can still rely on the Americas for some V8 action. And I like the idea. I mean, the trio of hybrid hypercars that we've had recently with the McLaren P1 and the Ferrari LaFerrari and the Porsche 918. I mean, the McLaren has a V8, Ferrari has a V12. So I'm like, yeah, that's cool. They're surviving. They're yeah, just adapting I, to the new like, era. They're like the $6 million man. Like, that's that's what I love to see. Like, the F1 power unit intrigues me to no end because, you know, it's a combination of traditional and ultra-modern where you have these, you know, electric, hybridly turbocharged V6 engines. With It's just, you know, pushing what we have to the absolute limit. Yeah, and that's and that's fascinating in itself. And in a way, isn't that exactly what F1 should be about? Yeah. But it that's seems kind like of people the whole care more about the noise coming out the back more than anything else. Yeah, and I'll tell you, like, the, when I went to, when Lotus F1 came to Brands Hatch to do commercial filming uh, and do a bit of testing there, I, I heard the new car, I heard the new hybrid engine. It sounded all right. The only problem was they had a Lotus 72 there as well, and it's like, oh, then you brought that out. Like, well, of course, it's not going to sound yeah. good compared to that, is it? That's a bit like having Mumford and Sons out on stage. Like, oh, this is pretty good. Next up, Led Zeppelin. But it, it's it's like the way efficiency works is that it's counterintuitive to as, to aesthetics in a way where more noise yeah. is less efficient. Which is kind of a weird thing. It's almost like, to me, I've always compared it to going up to Brian May and going, you know, if you turned your amp down to seven, it would use its power more efficiently. And it's like... <laughs> Yeah, but we are slightly... I mean, motorsport has to acknowledge it's still in the entertainment business to a degree. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. what's the the what's the end game between relevance versus entertainment? And that's, I think, an issue that's going to become more and more difficult, especially with the advent of electric stroke hybrid, more efficient engines, as you say, being counter to aesthetic, and then the rise of autonomous cars. You know, will robo-race and effectively robot-droid racing be interesting enough uh. to... Yeah, yeah like, we're I, have to wait. I, I don't think autonomous cars in like public use will destroy actual racing because you know horse racing is still a thing. That's a great point. Oh, I, why did I think of that? Yeah, it's like it's like 
it, it used to be a thing where, you know, poor people owned horses, rich people drove cars, and we've gotten to the point where everyone drives cars now, but horse racing is still a thing. That's a great way. So what you're saying is poor people will drive cars, rich people will have their cars drive them. Yeah, essentially. You think that's how it's going to go? <laughs> and, and then essentially but- everyone will have cars that drive themselves, but we'll still be watching people drive cars for entertainment. To see if they can do it better than the robots. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd, like be a, that. it, that'd be some interesting racing to oh, see. Oh, that'd be yeah. some, like, I don't know, minority report level shit right there. <laughs> that'd be fascinating. But thank you for making me feel so much better. I've had the odd existential crisis about racing and the future of cars and stuff. And you've made me feel better for that. And <laughs> on that point... actually have some questions relating to that sort of thing in the mailbag segment now of course uh, every week uh, we'll tweet out before the show we'll put a message out on the show and you can comment on our various social media channels with questions for the show and hopefully we'll pick them up i'll tell you what we tweeted literally when we started recording tonight at around quarter past seven uk time and we've been inundated the twitter feed is just just melting at the moment under the weight of questions so let's get straight down to it shall we i'm literally going off basically what's on my screen first up Sticking to the droid theme, uh, robots are going to kill us all, etc. <laughs> Who said Romo says, uh, can you see a future with the American Robo NASCAR and the Robo Indy 500? Ooh, I, I definitely see there being potential for for basically big robot, you know, big, I would say driverless racing series, because with driverless cars, we could do things we could never do with driver cars we could make them ultra light because they don't have to carry a person we could Mm. don't have to worry about you know g-forces or physical forces of any kind like you could really see how fast objects can go basically so you're thinking we could get to a wipeout level of speed uh yes essentially like the when it comes to safety it would be essentially Make sure the spectators are safe. That's it. Yeah. Like, that's it. <laughs> the debate on cockpit protection will be irrelevant because who are they protecting? There are no cockpits. <laughs> <laughs> nope, there won't be any cockpits. That'll be interesting. Um, now, where do all these questions start? Here we go. Right. Luke Frost, at Luke Frost 4, says, question for King and Johnson. He must have known it was just us on the show tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Most controversial NASCAR feud. Why is it all the oh. tweets and the questions that start question for King and Johnson have to be NASCAR related? <laughs> or oh, if it's man. question for Johnson, it might be touring car related. We'll get to that in a minute. But most controversial NASCAR feud. Uh, I mean, Logano Kenseth is the one that's the freshest in the memory. Yeah, it's freshest in the memory. I still remember a few from the old days. Uh, I know Gordon Earnhardt never got too bad. Nah. Kurt Busch and Jimmy Spencer was pretty intense for a while. Yeah, that was intense. Or Kurt Busch versus the world in 2011. Oh, God. Kurt Busch versus the world. <laughs> that was like, I still remember that 97 Sharpie car. Like, <laughs> Oh, God, yeah. Like, the you know, the whole, like, he was the first win- chase champion in 2004. People kind of find that easy to forget these days. Yeah. But I don't know, like... uh 
you know. I, I think I, like I, the the newer rivalries are so fresh in the mind because of social media that that basically mm. these rivalries can continue the Monday, the Tuesday, and the Wednesday afterwards because these drivers could be you know still arguing with each other on Twitter. Yeah, and and to be honest with you, a lot of rivalries in NASCAR they're kind of they flare up and then go away again because you've got so many people you're racing every week. I mean, yeah. In terms of you know, there's probably none bigger. Uh, in terms of maybe Cal Yarborough and the Allison brothers, the fight oh. that put NASCAR on the map in the 1979 <laughs> Daytona 500. But could you call that a rivalry? It was kind of a blow up at the end of one race. Like, yeah, like the, it, it, the, it the was way, notable. Like rivalries weren't that prevalent back then because number one, you didn't really have to race every race to win the championship. And it, it tend to, just blow up right there in the spot and then just diffuse right away. Yeah. I remember Carl Bush and Kevin Harvick had a pretty intense rivalry going in 2011. Yeah. Um, but again, just sort of uh, Daryl Waltrip and Rusty Wallace in, I want to say the 89 all-star race. That was a pretty big changing of the guy. That was literally like a double turn. <laughs> yes. Like you had the upcoming babyface Rusty Wallace versus the longtime heel Daryl Waltrip. And then Rusty Wallace completely dumps Daryl Waltrip shit in turn four and immediately in one go, you've got Rusty Wallace that's just become the biggest heel in the sport, and Darren Wal- Waltrip has now become the babyface. Yes. And it would, it would all culminate in the 500 shuffle. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I watched a little, like, uh, a NASCAR uh, did, a like, a YouTube clip about that whole moment in the All-Star race, Um and it was it was fascinating because it was a brilliant moment of like it had like the late Steve Burns in there and a bunch of like the pit reporters and the on air personalities and literally they they just had a segment where it all cuts them going did Rusty Wallace just do what I thought he just did <laughs> he he just did that didn't he he yeah it would kind of be like someone like I don't know like a, a sophomore driver now coming along and just wrecking just obliterating Kevin Harvick out of the All Star race. Or, or Jimmy Johnson or, 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 or in F one terms, Esteban Ocon just spearing Max Verstappen in in the first quarter of a race. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, actually. Um, but I don't know. That's a, that's a hard question to be honest with you, because as I say, rivalries they sort of come and go. Really, like they they don't last. That like, it's not like wrestling feuds. It's, as it's, I say, Kenseth and Logano has got to be up there. But it's I think a lot of that is it's fresh in the mind. Frank Kozlowski versus everyone in 2014. Or Harvick versus everyone last year. Yeah. Carl Edwards and Brad Kozlowski, they had beef going back quite a way. It's so many choices, but I'm pretty sure we're going to have to go with Harvick last year. Harvick versus versus the world in the chase last year. Oh, including the Talladega thing where it was like, oh, we're going to have one attempt at a green white checker, except no, we're not. And then Harvick fucked with the actual yeah, that, that attempt. Was, that was NASCAR accidentally fueling their own rivalry. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That was just NASCAR goofing up. And <laughs> yeah, like literally, like I've even gone to like Googling like NASCAR top feuds and like Jimmy Spencer and Kurt Busch comes up. Keselowski and Kyle Busch, they, had, they got into it for a while. Like, it, as I say, it's just flare ups in most races. Like... I know Dale Earnhardt and Daryl Waltrip had a bit of beef at the start of their careers. Then they became very close friends. It's kind of funny how that works in the end, really. But it's an interesting one. I'm gonna I'm gonna ponder this a little bit more yeah. going forward. Um, Joshua Sutil, regular listener of the show, do Honda need to supply a second team? Assume we're 
talking about the Formula One end here. Yes, I, I think we talked about this before we started recording about how there was a rumor out saying that Honda wanted to supply a second team. But I think the biggest the problem question- is their engines still have a perception that they're down on power and not good enough. Yeah, it's like, what are you going to give to this second team that you're going to supply? And who could this second team possibly be? Yeah, so like if you're Manor, for example, if you're like, what are you going to take? Honda engines on the table. Or if Mercedes go, yeah, we're going to let we're going to let you use the best power unit in the business right now, and give uh, you two guys to you know run them. Yeah, let me just get back to you on that. I think that may be a problem that Honda has as well in terms of being able to get people to take their engines on a supply deal. They don't really have any drivers or any other bargaining tools, do they? Yeah, they would have to like deeply discount those engines. Yeah, I think it'd be a difficult one. I think it's not a case of should they or, or do they need to supply a second team? It's can they? Well, they have the option. Well, uh, yeah, it's basically because the, the rumor is being fueled because they're themselves and McLaren are expanding their staff to support a second team. Yeah, so yeah, it'll be I think they, they should. Yeah, they should. They they should supply a second team in an ideal world, but otherwise they, they kind of can't at this point. It's their hands tied in that aspect. They need to make an engine that's as good on paper and as value for money as like a Renault or a Mercedes engine. That's proving very difficult for them. Marcus Hoare, oh, you always like to challenge me with the tough questions, don't you? This one's specifically for me. Who will be British Touring Car Champion on Sunday? <laughs> Let me just set the scene for you, folks. This weekend at the Brands Hatch finale to the British Touring Car Championship 2016, there are eight drivers in contention for the championship, mathematically. No, they're not running a chase system. No, there's no playoff. NASCAR only has four guaranteed in contention for their final round. The touring cars have eight. Suck it, Brian France. <laughs> but I don't like... I've actually struggled to keep up with British touring cars this year. A lot of the time with like how my work's been, been going, I've been away on like some of the, the rounds, but I have kept a, kept tabs on it. And it's an absolutely fascinating season. I think part of it was the fact that Subaru and the Team BMR squad with, you know, ch- previous title contenders like Colin Turkerton and Jason Plato, they started the season so poorly, it took them about four or five rounds to get going. And by that, that time, they were under the gun. And since then, no one's really kind of staked a firm claim. It's not like Honda have dominated in their absence. Uh, the BMW... Uh, you know, West Surrey Racing Outfit have really stepped up and they're, you know, two of their guys are in contention here. Motorbase, both of their guys are in contention. Both the Honda guys are in there. Sam Tordoff's actually leading the points going into the final round by uh, 11 over Gordon Shedden and Matt Neal, the Honda duo. And then Robert Collard, fourth. Matt Jackson, fifth. Andrew Jordan, sixth. And Colin Turkerton and Jason Plato in the Subarus, seventh and eighth. But I just find it amazing, King. Yet again, and I'd have to check this, but I think the streak is going back about 10 years now. Jason Plato goes into the final round in contention for the championship. How? Didn't How has he, he done this? Didn't he miss like an entire round? Like, I don't follow the BTCC that closely, but yes, I'm pretty sure missed he the missed thru- a round. <laughs> yeah, the team missed the Thruxton round, which was three races due to safety concerns that the cars might catch fire. And yet he and Turkington are still in contention. I can't. How does he do it? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. He was probably going to go into the final race on Sunday as the main challenger for the title. It's just what he does. You can't kill him with a stick. Oh this is what he does. But, I mean, in terms of predicting a winner out of all that, it's hard to look past Shedden. I know he starts oh, behind like, the eight Literally, ball. if I had to pick a name from the eight with no knowledge at all, I was going to pick Gordon Shedden. Yeah, it's, the, it's Honda. It's Team Dynamics. It's an incredible team. Great experience. He is the reigning champ. 
Uh, I don't know. It all depends on if Tordoff gets a good first couple of races in the bag and he he has the cushion. But, you know, I have no doubt that Shedden will put the pressure on. He'll have his wingman, Matt Neal, right there, who's equally in contention. He's only two points behind Shedden in third. But Collard's right there, fourth. It's, it's fascinating because it's literally the Noah's Ark of Championships. You've got Sam Tordoff and Rob, Rob Collard from BMW there. Both the Hondas, Shedden and Neal. Both the motorbase Fords, Jackson and Jordan, and two of the Subarus, Turkington and Plato. So it's two each. It's four teams in that eight-car spread. So you thought there were some team shenanigans last year in the final races. You ain't seen nothing yet. So, Marcus, it's a horrible question to ask. I hate you for it. But I'm going to tentatively say Shedden. I'm going to predict Gordon <laughs> Shedden. Or Jason Plato, because you can't write him off ever, ever. Literally, the fact that he's in the championship hunt going into the final round anyway speaks volumes for that. But it's going to be incredible. I'm going to be there, hopefully. It's going to be fun. Um, What else have we got over here? Hang on, I've lost my Twitter feed. I know how to social media. There we go. Luke Julian. Will we see Rossi levels of dominance from Mark Marquez in the next 10 years? Hmm. I, I'm leaning no. I'm leaning no because there's going to be so many factories, and we already seen this year that essentially and Rossi all himself's he, not going away yet. Yeah, Rossi himself's not going away yet. The fact that the that the factories that have been around for a while and have been on the weaker side have finally, you know, reached a point where yeah, we can win a couple races sometimes too, where we have you know Suzuki and and. <laughs> where I mean, where we have, yeah, Suzuki and Ducati actually, you know, being competitive and Aprilia and KTM are coming. So I think dominance might not be assured for Honda. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think as good a, a good a rider as Mark Marquez is, and he is a sensational rider with the potential to maybe go even further than Rossi has in his career. I just... I think the sport's going to be a different place going forward. It's not going to be, you're just not going to be able to get on that level of dominating and winning every single weekend, you know, almost Schumacher level. So be interesting to watch. I mean, if Marquez can pull it off, he's going to be up there in GOAT land. Yes. Um, Shawnee F1 with an interesting question. How toxic would Twitter be if it existed during the Prost and Senna era? Oh God, I I don't want to (laughs) know. That's kind of all we need to say on that one. Yeah. It would be pretty chaotic. Um, Kubica-esque, a.k.a. Andrew Kissinger. You're an IndyCar team owner. What rookie driver do you grab up? And which experienced veteran do you pair him with? Mm. If I had to King pick... first. Yeah, if I, if I had to pick from the people who are apparently available, ooh, if I had to pick a pure rookie, I'd probably go... Oh, yeah, I'd probably go Anderson and TK. You bastard. That's the combo I was going to go for. <laughs> Okay, to be different then. Um, I think the only other veteran really on the table is Montoya, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, no, I'm going to go TK as my veteran as well because I think he's still in sensational form. And um, uh, I mean, rookie driver kind of excludes Connor Daly, surely. Um, yeah, I mean, technically I Spencer know. Piggott would be classified as a rookie. Yeah, I'm you thinking, have, I'm thinking you Spencer Piggott. You have Ed Jones, you have Santiago Guterra. Mm, I'll go Piggott then. So Piggott. I think, to be honest, we're in agreement. TK yeah. and Ennison, really. <laughs> TK so, and Ennison. Yep. Uh, ben21345. Do you think Perez could return to McLaren if Alonso leaves? Nah. No. King? Uh, like, 
I think that avenue's come and gone. Like, he's not going back. He, he's a, like, it, McLaren would have to really improve. Like, Force India is... is legit above McLaren right now. Yeah, above McLaren, above Williams. They're legitimate podium threat almost, like, most Grand Prix now. Yeah, so, I mean, they're legit fighting for fourth in the constructors with uh, Williams right now. So, like, why would you leave Force India at this point, especially for McLaren? And why would McLaren want him back? Because, I, to me, it feels like Perez is damaged goods to them. He had this season with them in 2013. Didn't work out. Goodbye. Best of luck in your future endeavours, you know? So I, I don't see Perez going back there unless he becomes literally the hottest ticket in all of F1, the hottest free agent, New Garden style, <laughs> and McLaren suddenly have, you know, a vacancy available. I mean, <clears throat> even if Alonso leaves, they'll just bring Button back from his sabbatical next year, surely. Yeah. I mean, they've liked to promote from within. You know, they've got talent on their books, so I don't really see it happening. And I'm a Perez boy, so you, you can tell I'm totally not biased in that aspect at all. Um, but, 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 let's fire through some quick ones. We've got a lot here. Shawnee F1, again, do you think the internet hates Max Verstappen now? Since Spa, there's been less people kissing his ass and more people unnecessarily bashing him, i.e., do you think Verstappen has turned heel? <laughs> yes, yeah, so really. Verstappen, I still. I, I have a feeling it depends on where you're from, but Verstappen has turned heel in my eyes. Yeah, he's turned heel in my eyes, but if you're listening to this in Holland, no. Like the fact that you should have seen the reactions that the Sky F1 Twitter feed got when they tweeted out their driver ratings for Singapore and Verstappen got a six. Ooh, baby. You think there's some ham capers out there? Oh, oh man. Think, you ain't seen nothing yet. Last year, there were rumors that the Dutch Grand Prix was coming back. And I tweeted I, I tweeted out that, oh, I'd, you know, I'd love to see, you know, Dutch race back in the calendar because the history of Zandvoort. Like, even oh, yeah. if it was a new circuit, I would still love to go back to the Netherlands. All the retweets and comments saying that we want to see Verstappen race at home. <laughs> Yeah, so literally, yeah, the cult of Verstappen is still alive and well. But uh, he also has a third question. Shawnee F1, you're, you're, you're asking for seconds and third helpings here this week, but it is a quick one. For Adam, when will you finish the F1 career mode? I assume he's talking about the series <laughs> on Bomber Sports Plays. Well, number one, I'm having too much fun with NASCAR Heat Evolution at the moment, and people are actually watching it, which is nice. Uh, and two, I'm going to go back to the F1 2016 career mode, but with a slight twist. Basically, it's not going to be me driving in-game. It's going to be my boy from IndyCar. I'm going to leave that up to you. And I'm going to get quite creative with it. I'm going to, I'm going to let my inner Arif out. Yeah. And I'll let you interpret that the way you want to. But hey, life's, you know, means that I can't full-time Bomber Sports play right now. So it's kind of restricting in that capacity. But fear not, I haven't forgotten about F1 2016 because it is a really good game. Uh, finally, from the Twitter feed, uh, button underscore MK, day, day one Deadshot main. Would you buy a fully customized customizable f1 game with community creations being the focus cars drivers tracks etc is is he talking uh, sort of like an automobilista for f1 uh ooh, i i assume it would be something <laughs> like that i would assume it would be like a cross between that and like a wwe 2k game <laughs> yeah i mean i'd love to see career modes that in depth the problem in motorsport you've got is licensing especially yeah. in spot you know like that, I, that's I've another said, thing that Liberty F1 said they wanted to do. They wanted to ooh. be less restrictive with licensing. Ooh, they are going up in my estimation. <laughs> but you know what I'd love to see? A return of the old F1 career challenge format. Oh, yeah. That was, the first, that was the first F1 game I ever played. Oh, I've still got it. It's an amazing game. And basically what they did is they went four years back. For, I mean, it was released in 2002. They went back to 1999 and let the seasons play out as they did in real life. But 
basically you slot in in your career mode into all that. So all the driver changes were exactly the same as they were in real life, except, you know, where you came into the equation and how you changed things. And it, it progressed in a very natural way. And I really enjoyed that. I thought that was very cool. I'd love to see the NASCAR games go that way. I know the EA NASCAR games kind of did that, but they did it more fancy. Like you'd start in, say, if it was NASCAR 07, you'd start in the 2007 season and then 08, 09. And they'd sort of predict who maybe changes teams that way. Like yeah. Mark Martin was hilariously always one of the first to retire in those career <laughs> yep. modes, even though he'd be like, oh, nope, I'm still racing pretty much full time in 2013. And then it's quite funny. Nowadays, he gets really cranky when people ask him on Twitter, Mark, what are you racing again? He's like, never stop asking me to race again. It's like, Mark, you kind of invited this on yourself by claiming you were retiring back in 2005 and then not actually retiring for another eight years. Yeah, like like Jeff Gordon. <laughs> I mean, Mark Martin taught Jeff Gordon and Tony Stewart how to retire. Like, you need to make a, <laughs> you need to do a full break. If you don't do a full yeah. break, people are going to be, when are you going to come back? And like, Rusty Wallace did it properly in 2005. He was like, 05 is my last season. And he genuinely hasn't run a NASCAR race ever since. So yeah. fair play to him. <laughs> um, let's head over to the Facebook now where we've got a couple of questions over there. Uh, Brian Glennon has some very kind words for the podcast as well. I'd just like to read these out as well. I love you guys. I listen into the show every week and have done since March. I love the energy and humor you put into it. Keep it up, guys. And here's to many more episodes to come. Beer, you know, cheers, emoji. Cheers. That's very kind. Very kind. I'm going to raise my glass of water because I'm being, I'm behaving myself tonight. Um, (laughs) He he says on a genuine point, and it kind of links into the other question we've had on Facebook from uh, Connor Pink. Um, because Connor says, although the extra downforce for F1 seems a bad idea, will the three-tyre rule save a lot of races next year like it has this year? And will Red Bull be able to close the gap a fair bit knowing they're probably the best at downforce? Now, Brian's question was, we all know about the new downforce package and how some expert F1 commentators said it would actually make racing worse. Well, technically, doesn't that mean I come under expert F1 commentators? Because I've been saying that since the new rules had come in or have been on the table. Uh, anyway, he says, do you think that off the successes of the low downforce package in NASCAR, making the series more competitive than any part of the last decade, uh, that IndyCar and Formula One should try and take downforce away rather than add it? And would it make the racing more interesting and possibly put driver skill back rather than how good the car is more into play? So we've got kind of inception level of question here. We have to go deeper here. Basically, let's start off lower downforce in F1 rather than higher. Mark Webber's not going to like it, but King, I think that's a pretty decent direction yeah, to go. I, I, think it's- I mean, IndyCar, I've already said this already, dirty air, you know, topside downforce, winglets, narrow over the top, more dirty air. It means you can't pass, you can't follow cars. NASCAR found this out to their cost because, let's face it, NASCAR's all about huge packs of cars going very fast on ovals. And if you can't get close to each other, how is Robin is racing when <laughs> dirty air isn't racing? And, and the difference in speed, like the difference in average speed between, you know, top speed and cornering speed, the bigger the difference, the easier it is to get passes done in braking zones. Yeah, exactly. So like it's more, it was felt more keenly in NASCAR where the whole raise and debt of the series is close side-by-side racing and they weren't able to do yeah. close side-by-side racing. So it really, and it really has worked for them this year. And it's been one of the best things they've done in that series for years and years, you know, like no matter how much you play around with the championship format, ultimately it's the on-track action week to week that's going to bring fans and eyeballs to the product. And it seems they're slowly learning that lesson. But in terms of F1 and IndyCar moving that way, I'd love to see it go that way. You know, basically, how do you think that Champ Car always produce such really good racing packages for their cars? Their cars always race pretty well, even on very tight, twisting tracks. It's because a lot of it, 
a fair amount of the downforce. I mean, they weren't downforce monsters anyway, but a fair amount of the downforce came from ground effect, came from underneath the car, which produces a lot less dirty air for the trailing car behind. Yeah, it produces so, a lot less dirty air for the trailing car behind. And I, I think it's an issue of having it's a weird ratio it's power to weight to downforce where you have mm. where you, where you know you have power high and downforce low and you usually get a you know a great racing car yeah and that's that's the important thing there a racing car and i feel like i really feel like in this whole sort of oh we need drivers to be flat out the entire race flag to flag nah, we need to be pushing harder and these cars are really hard really not hard to drive if a teenager can do it and all this sort of <laughs> really ill-informed bollocks i'll be honest with you like how the hell it, people genuinely think this it, i've got no idea but it's because it feels right that's it they people <laughs> yeah. feel that it's right so they believe it pretty much i mean isn't this basically summing up u.s politics right now <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah i mean yeah. let's be real here um but i honestly i feel like you know even in the early 2000s with the great v10 era and that and there wasn't that much overtaking the cars still i don't think produced that much dirty air comparatively they were pretty clean over the top and you could have some pretty decent races and i remember in 05 and 06 we did have some decent races in terms of on track action by the time of 07 and 08 when the cars really were sprouting winglets and aero parts from every single orifice then yeah but i I don't think it's any coincidence that we've had we had really good season in terms of racing in 2010 2011 2012 which was in sort of the first few years of a new era of more minimal aero and in IndyCar, they still have really good racing now, even with slightly increased levels of downforce. So I think the on-track product is going to suffer next year. I think it's hard to factor that in. Um, I think Connor Pink makes an interesting thing in terms of that the tyre changes, the tyre strategy might help it next year in terms of it's helped this year to a degree. But even then, King, I feel like since the summer break, everyone's kind of sussed everything out and we're almost back to a status quo feeling again. Yeah, it's... It feels like people know what strategies works and you kind of get this uh, congregation of strategies where everyone seems to be getting closer and closer to the same strategy. And when everyone's running the same strategy, then you run into the old problems. Yeah, it kind of comes back around again and we're we're back to square one in that respect. So I don't think it'll be enough to save it, really. It'll help. On its own. But it'll, it won't save it. Yeah, it will. it will help. But I don't think it's the entire solution. But, I mean, final point there, will it help Red Bull in terms of bringing aero and downforce back into play? Will it kind of... Because they've struggled recently in this current era because the power unit is such a huge factor and that's where Mercedes have always held all the cards. Red Bull, we know, in the previous V8 era, aero was king and that's what Red Bull was so strong at. So do you agree? Do you think it might play into Red Bull's hands a bit more? (laughs) Yes, definitely. Especially... Apparently, there's been a lot of poaching going on where people have been poaching staff from Mercedes. So Mercedes aero department isn't as great as it used to be at the start of the turbo, the second turbo era. Mm, So, I mean, at least in that perspective, there's potential for it to be slightly more competitive, which I think honestly might be enough for fans to treat next year... um, to, to treat next year's season as success. If the on-track action's dull, but at least Mercedes aren't winning every week, then hey, success. Yeah. We all know that F1 <laughs> fans don't know what they want. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, basically, <laughs> given that we barely talked F1 all episode, 
how the hell did we still manage to finish with a down note on F1? Oh. <laughs> thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks, listeners. I mean, Jeez, yeah. I mean, you guys had good questions, though, so... That was, oh, that yeah, was some really good questions. Yep. You guys really stepped up on that one, and it's been a pleasure. It's been another really enjoyable episode. Um, thank you very much for joining us once again. Uh, just as I said at the top of the show, if you want to lock in to us uh, regularly each week, Follow us on Sound, subscribe on SoundCloud and on iTunes at the usual links. You can also find us on Stitcher and TuneIn Radio over there for your console-based listening. Follow us all over the social medias on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, twitter.com forward slash motorsport underscore 101. Um, you can also find us on our individual accounts at AJ underscore Bombersports for me, at Ryan Eric King for him, and at Harrison 101 HD for the fucker who's off playing Forza Horizon 3 rather than recording with us tonight. Yeah, he, he, better, um, be be- he better be back here next week. Are you? He's getting replaced. You do realize he's actually tweeted while we're recording saying he's playing Forza Horizon. Wait, it's not what? even a joke at oh this point. Oh my god! <laughs> it's not even a joke at this point. <sighs> he claims it was a family dinner. Family yeah. dinner. Yeah, right. It is. Your leader home. has defected you. Your leader has disowned you, fans. He's getting replaced next week. We're finding a replacement. Yeah. So, um, if you want a job on Motorsport 101, email us at. Um, <laughs> Ryan.king Ryan. King 3206 at gmail.com There you go. Email your applications there <laughs> and uh, tell us tell us um, I mean basically the only criteria is is your favourite driver Max Verstappen? If yes sod off. Um, <laughs> Unless you're Dutch we're, we're willing to make that exception that's the only exception you have and even then it's slight. Yeah it's um, small. You'd be on probation the minute the minute you get here. <laughs> basically yeah and of course if you do want to uh, support the podcast and help us you know produce this show every week and make it better and better you can support us on patreon and there's a bunch of perks over there there's plenty of stuff coming as well new merchandise exclusive google hangouts post grand prix once we're you know sorting out our time schedules and everything and of course if you can't afford to or can't support us that way realize that just sharing the links to the show around telling your mates about it you know sharing it around on social media that helps us out just as much we appreciate yes. everything you do we appreciate all the support it's, it really blows us away week to week now it's been a really really enjoyable first six months post reboot and we're kicking on for it going forward now it's been really enjoyable so it is good night from myself adam johnson and presumably it's also good night from him ryan king yes yes Oh wait, is it, this is it over? Do I do, do I say it now? <laughs> no, no. Uh, wait, wait. And from my, and from myself, Adam Johnson, and from him, Ryan King. This has been Motorsport One One Episode Fifty Nine, and we'll catch you guys next time. Bye. Sayonara. <laughs> Trace not here. <laughs>